welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Back. And thank you for listening, David. Yes. How you doing? I'm hungry for ads. Did you miss hungry me? For Did you miss me last week? Were you not here? No, <laughs> I definitely, uh, yeah, definitely did, and I definitely missed your contained, carpeted studio. Oh, here. indeed, yes. Because uh, people will notice the podcast is a little noisier, not yeah. just because I live triangulated by a police station, a fire station, <laughs> and an airport. Yeah. And I have a dog who doesn't like the fact that there were three people in my apartment all not paying attention to him. Yeah. So there's a lot of howling on the podcast. It's hardwood floors. It's a, it's a, it's, uh, it, 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 it sounded shittier than usual. Yeah. Um, I did. I'm sorry to butt in. Um, but yes, thank you to Scott and especially to Jake first timer. Yeah. Uh, for, for helping us talk about, uh, the Turner classic, uh, yeah. film festival, the I'm, TCM classic film festival. Which is, that's what it's called, even though that means Turner Classic Movies Classic Film. Yeah, I don't like that one bit. It's that's like even more egregious than pin number or ATM machine. That's true. Anyway. Okay, sorry. Anyway. We got some sponsors. Yeah, indeed. So, everybody, this episode is brought to you by Mubi, which is proud to announce their first major theatrical release in the United States. The happiest day in the life. Now, here's the thing. This has some pronunciation, so I do apologize if I get it wrong. The Happiest Day in the Life of Oli Maki uh, is now playing in New York and Los Angeles with more cities such as San Francisco, Dallas, Chicago, Philadelphia, St. Louis, David, and Seattle. Uh, you're from St. Louis. I know, you don't, I, you don't I, live I, there. Everyone though. knows that. Um, uh, but yeah, so very excited. it'll be opening there soon. Right now, though, the film can be found at, Link, at the Lincoln Plaza Cinemas and the Angelica Film Center in New York and at Lemley's Royal Theater in Los Angeles. The film is based on the true story of Finnish boxer Oli Maki and his shot at the 1962 featherweight title. It's getting rave reviews from critics. I just happened to see that the AV Club gave it a B plus. Uh, getting rave reviews from critics and upon Got a great review in the weekly as well. Oh, did it? Okay. Afternoon, yeah. So uh, I've not seen it because it's uh, as of the day of recording. It comes out tomorrow. Right. Um, but uh, I did watch the trailer, and I'll say this. So I. When I heard that, okay, it's about a box, a Finnish boxer, 1962, it's shot in black and white. I had a very specific idea of what this movie was going to be. And trailers could be misleading, but as far as in looking at the reviews, it sounds like it is not. Uh, the The trailer is upbeat, it's jazzy, it's funny, and uh, by, by all accounts, based on reviews, it is a very charming film. It is not the raging bull that I thought it was going to be. Well, it um, has a, whim- a whimsical name. Absolutely. The happiest day in the life of... Ola Mati? Oli Maki. Oli Maki. Now, uh, that's true, but every sounds once like in a while... Sounds like a professional hockey player, because a lot of them are Finnish. That, that sounds right. Uh, now, here's the thing. Now, as of right now, we don't have an ad for this film on the site. So what you're going to need to do, if you're interested, you go to Oli Maki Film. That's O-L-L-I-M-A-K-I Film.com. What was that? Obviously, it's tradi- knows how to spell Oli yeah, Maki. traditional spelling is what I should have said. O-L-L-I-M-A-K-I-Film.com. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, so check it out. And, and it will be if you live in one of these uh, major cities, it will be uh, coming to your uh, city very soon. Thank you for calling St. Louis a major city. Absolutely. Yeah. Gateway. It's the gateway to the, the, gateway to the, to the west. west. Yeah. And then, you know, once we 
pass through that gateway that really doesn't serve much purpose, but that's fine. Uh, jazz, right? And uh, there's <laughs> jazz, St. Saint Louis style uh, ribs. I, I enjoy it. Tony Roma's the golden arch. The go- the, right. <laughs> the single golden yeah, arch. The single golden arch. The other one's going up any day now. I think. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. Riverboat gambling. That's right. Mark Twain. Uh, John Goodman, Brett Hull, Kevin Klein. Was Brett Hull on the St. Louis Brett Hull. Blues? Yes, yeah. Brett Hull from the St. Louis Blues. Nice. The uh, the Blues are currently uh, in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, up three games to one against the Minnesota Wild. Couldn't close out at home last night. Got to go back to Minnesota, but uh, I think they'll do it. Home field advantage, and they couldn't do it. I know. You don't want to blow that three one lead or the three nothing lead, right? Right. Yeah. 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 They had the they had every chance, and they blew it. <laughs> like uh, like Sylvester Stallone in, in Copland. Absolutely. It gave right. me a chance to be a real cop, and you blew it. You blew it. Yeah. Who, yell, is, who yells that? It's De Niro. De Niro. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, like, is it Dennis Farina? <laughs> I know he's not in it, but... Is he in it? weird that Dennis Farina's not in that movie? I, mean, I feel like that movie just has everybody of that era who is still alive. Like, yeah, it was like, it's a mad, 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 mad world, but... Robert Patrick. You got your... John Ray, Spencer. John Spencer. You got your Harvey yeah, Keitel. Harvey Keitel. Ray Liotta. Janine Garofalo is in that movie. She's I believe. like a deputy, right? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Peter Berg. Peter Berg, of course. Wow. Of course. Being oh. right is not a bulletproof vest, Freddie. That's what uh, Ray Liotta said. And then we got to get back to these ads, but a little bit of trivia about Peter Berg. Okay. Um, mm. His character's name is Officer Randone. And in Very Bad Things, directed by Peter Berg, the officer who questions uh, the, the guys after Daniel Stern gets hit by a car is named Officer Randone. Oh, that's fun. Anyway, uh, sponsorship is not over yet. Uh, so that is uh, the film. Check it out. The happiest life, uh, happiest day in the life of Olimaki. Uh, but I do want to remind everyone that that is uh, that is the theatrical wing of Mubi taking mm-hmm. care of that. But then there is also the streaming service. Uh, so Mubi, look, you know the spiel. I could say it at this point from memory, but I'm going to read it anyway. Absolutely. Mubi is a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Not unlike that TCM uh, Classic Fest classic. Uh, every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $5.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. And there is a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just Go to Mubi.com, that's M-U-B-I.com slash Battleship to redeem now. And I want to tell you, now I'm not reading copy, this is just from memory, I want to tell you about TweakedAudio.com and the uh, professional quality earbuds you can get over there in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great, they sound great, Tyler and I use them uh, each and every day of our lives. We stand by them, uh, we support them, (laughs) Um, uh, we endorse them. And you can get them for a low, low price over at TweakedAudio.com, but if you use the offer code PRETENSION at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So make sure to go to tweakedaudio.com for all your earbud needs and use the offer code pretension. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. 
Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tyler. Yes? Let me tell you about our guest. Okay, please do. He's a comedian. Mm-hmm. He's a regular uh, caller to uh, The Best Show with Tom Sharpling, which... Uh, uh, you and I are both both fans of. Indeed, um, he's a mu- musician uh, uh, from the bands uh, Brutal Nights and uh, uh, Wrong Hole, which is a name that uh, uh, Wrong Hole <laughs> makes me a little uncomfortable. Makes <laughs> me uncomfortable <laughs> to, to say. Uh, also, Teen Crud Combo. If that makes you feel okay. Wait, what is it? Teen Crud Combo. That was my '90s, I like late that. '90s band. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome uh, Nick Flanagan. Hi guys, how's it going? Hello. <laughs> there you go. Got my energy back. Yeah, there we it's go. It's gonna dip and then it's gonna come back. That's so, just warning you. I have the energy of uh, just a uh, like a like a uh, passed away person. <laughs> <laughs> you know, person on the verge of it. So there we just, go. <laughs> please bear with me now as I try to survive. Well, you hang in there, and uh, we can always get you more water so you don't die of thirst. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, we do want to get to know you, but there's a mystery, David, that we need to get to well, the bottom of. Well, first, I want to... Um, I forgot until you mentioned uh, Red Hole that you're Canadian, uh, and so I'm assuming... You're from Toronto? I am from Toronto. Uh, you're a Leafs fan, then? I no? am a Leafs fan. I mean, I am not good at being a sports fan, but, right. you know, the Leafs... I would really love the Leafs, and I really love sports, and then I think... I guess you'd call it fair weather, but the Leafs are such a punitive group of people to like that I I just felt betrayed in the mid '90s by their loss when they had Doug Gilmore and all those people and Dave Anderchuk. That it was so heartbreaking I couldn't go through it again. So I, I'm at arm's length at all times. Does it bother you that you have to say Leafs and not Leaves? No, I like it. I it, prefer it. Oh boy, it bothers me to hear. I, think I don't it's care very for it. folksy. <laughs> I, yeah. I like the folksiness of it. When I think of leaves. I think of uh, you know Walt Whitman. I guess right? sure. And uh, right. And I think of. I think there's a place in Brooklyn that has the word leaves, and it's like a restaurant that's expensive. So you know these are bad associations for me. Right. But just leaves. <laughs> but I like the, you got it. I like. I, I like that restaurant, and I like Walt Whitman. But yes, leaves. Is, leaves is for literature to me, and leaves is for yeah. It's for sports fans. Right. Yeah. The two a nice Canadian person saying Leafs. You don't need to anymore. I know. I just, I just <laughs> saw it. Uh, as listeners, you have to picture it. But there, sure. So you're not following that currently they're keeping it competitive against the Capitals in this uh, oh. first round series? Capitals, a lot of people's cup pick. So uh, Right. That was the game yesterday? Yeah, I think yeah. yesterday. I mean, I was sort of keeping track of it. I recently reactivated Facebook. Uh, okay. In order to get birthday love. That's the only reason they did it. I was like, I took a month <laughs> off Facebook and it was like a month and a half and it was really productive and it was, uh, there was flourishing occurred during this off time. And then I came back and it was bad, except I found out about, I just, I only came back to get the affection that comes when it's your birthday to get that. Like yeah, what day is your birthday? It was yesterday. Yesterday. Oh, wow. Happy, Happy birthday. birthday. Thank you guys. How about that? Now is it rude to ask how old you are? I'm really old. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, you don't have to answer then. Okay. We'll let people do the do do the math. Go Indeed. on IMDb, folks. Yeah. There you go. It's. I don't even. I don't think it's there. I think it like IMDb doesn't let it be there or something. Wasn't it was the, like the whole? Who was it that that was suing? Yeah, I can't IMDb. remember who it was, but the yeah, uh, yeah. Um, 
damaged someone's career. Yeah. Yeah. Which is 37. And I do feel like that's a, I do feel like that is the, a legitimate gripe is that, especially for, for, uh, actresses that their age is, is unfortunately a consideration, even if they are able to play younger, I feel like students like, ah, too old. Yeah. I mean, I kind of think no age for certain things feels good, you know, and and like in acting and that kind of stuff is always better because I always found people like when I was a kid, I was so impressed by so many people and they were way older than me. (laughs) It turned out. And like, you know what I mean? It's always a little disappointing when you're like a 17 year old and you're like, I love this person so much. It's like, well, guess what? They didn't really start rolling until they were in their early forties. So now you, now you don't identify with it. No, see, I actually feel the other way. Cause like when you're 17, you're like, all right, I got a lot of years. Exactly. Whereas now to be a fan of a band and you're looking like, oh, they're like, that person's 21 years old. We're yeah. talking about hockey. Like, yeah. it's weird for me as a 34-year-old right. to be like, uh, uh, like, with, with, for with, a hockey team, like, <laughs> like trying to get into the NHL. No, but then talking about like, speaking of the Leafs, like Austin Matthews, like, oh, wow, he's so great. It's like, that guy's younger than my youngest brother. Like, <laughs> right. he's, a, he's a kid. He, right. That was, that was one of some of the original cocking was actually just the way <laughs> sports people like younger, <laughs> you know, yeah. they kind of older sports fans bow to the youth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, the only time I'm going to use that term this this year. Uh, thank yeah. you. Thank you. Uh, That's very- speaking of birthdays, today, the day of recording, we're dating this, but today uh, is my brother's birthday. Oh. Hey. Also Hitler's birthday. Yeah. Also Harold Lloyd's birthday. Also marijuana's birthday. Yeah. yeah I mean, right. April's yes. jam-packed, isn't it? <laughs> Abs- I know? guess so. Yeah. It's a friend of mine's birthday uh, last week. I mean, I don't know. Facebook means it's just every day it feels like it's people, the birthday of people you know. It's a little exhausting. But it really doesn't is. It, see, I don't, I love it. I, yeah. I, it makes me feel so happy to see like, oh, it's someone's birthday. I'll send them a text or a tweet depending mm-hmm. on the level of our friendship. Yeah. Uh, it makes me feel like a good friend. Mm-hmm. Even though I know they know like, oh, this person, like, David just saw it on Facebook. There's no way David knows my birthday. But I still right. feel like... Which is why if you text them, then it's a reassertion that I'm closer than the other ones. <laughs> right. Like, or, I may have yeah. forgotten it, but I can do this. The Facebook private message also sort of has an sure. element of that. The, like, I don't want to put this too out there, but <laughs> happy birthday, man. <laughs> I'm really happy you were born. You mean a lot to me. Are any messages really private on Facebook? Am I right? That's really a question. Oh, man. No. <laughs> I did not with, like that at with all. With that hanging out there. <laughs> yeah. Tyler, you said there was a mystery. Yes, there we is. We do have a mystery because we got two packages in our P.O. box. You can, If you want to send us stuff, uh, our P.O. box is on the website. Two packages, identical, with no identification mark as far as who they came from. And so... Each of us were sent a book, a number one New York Times bestseller, Nick, uh, called Daring Greatly, How the Courage to be Vulnerable Transforms the Way We Live, Love, Parent, and Lead. So I guess a listener thinks we're not vulnerable enough. Right. Or they think we're bad. They might think we're bad parents, which is true enough. I mean, you and I are definitely bad at being parents. Yes. Yes. Because we're not. (laughs) True. Um, is it a possible that it is this? Someone has sent this to you as some sort of sick joke. Like you'll get some email after this discussion that goes, guys, you don't remember episode two Oh six. Yeah. When I'm, you guys were completely putting up walls. Oh, it could be, it could be that maybe they're, yeah. maybe they're remembering that, uh, girl with the dragon tattoo episode where you and I just argued, but that yeah. was like several years ago at that this was, point. Yeah. Where Did it come back. to blows? No, no. Uh, it came to insults. Yeah. Uh, I feel bad about that episode. Oh, we're better now. Um, 
but you were kids. You were just kids. See, but you, like that is something that happens. I think, and I don't like. I don't want to sound like I'm talking down to the listeners, but there will be listeners who will reference things on Twitter, like days after an episode goes up which means if it's three days after an episode goes up it's like a week after i recorded it i'll have no idea someone will just respond to something i said on the podcast mm-hmm. i have no idea what it is right but i just know i know that i like that happens when i listen to other podcasts mm-hmm. i know that i remember yeah. things they said that i'm sure uh they forget so to your point nick that's it's it's absolutely completely possible yeah. that this should be obvious to yeah. us and we just forgot what we said. Well, every, sh- oh, every show, is, every episode is in the present. If that's when you're listening to of it, course, yeah. you know, and if you're someone who just is, is new to the show and is like, well, I want to go back and listen as close to the beginning as I can. Mm-hmm. And so just like, Oh wow, this is really interesting. And meanwhile, it's from 2008 or something like right. that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'm, that level of, of fandom, you know, even with Howard Stern, which was like maybe my first, Radio love was mm-hmm. like Howard Stern came on in Toronto, nineteen ninety three, maybe nineteen ninety four, and I would listen to the old episodes when they play them, and I would read up on him. But I could not imagine going it through the archives. I mean, the best show is so incredible, mm-hmm. but I can't go easily fifteen years in the right. past, sixteen years in the past. Although they make it easier because they have that streaming thing and mm-hmm. the show twenty four seven. We're not here to the gems and the best show dot com. I mean that's not the right <laughs> it's one. Net, yeah. but, uh, oh now you're doing yeah, I've yeah. trapped you in my, <laughs> but I actually brought oh yeah. I was gonna self promote, but I, I that's not why I wanted to do oh, that. That's fine. Please do well I this book interesting. Wait, did you write this book? I sent you this as oh, soon okay. as I found right. out you guys were booking me for the podcast. I thought the best gift would be unmarked packages with these two uh, copies. One, one, I wrote this book, Daring Greatly. I did not. I did not. I've read, never written a book. But on my Amazon wish list, I do have this book I found on Amazon that's called why I hate Melania Trump and all of the other first ladies. And it's like some self-published <laughs> book. But Melania is spelled M-L-N-I-A. You know, like it's a typo. <laughs> now, <laughs> obviously, love to read we book. have to buy that book. Like, there's no question about yeah. it. Because I want to know, why do they hate f- all the first ladies? What do the first ladies ever do? I, all of them? I know. Yeah. It's uh, like it's probably some sort of reptilian, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. conspiracy Especially theory. At the moment, I'm pro Melania Trump because she reminded the president to put his hand over his heart during the, <laughs> yeah. uh, did you see that? I did. Yeah. It was very, this, it, it's always interesting when you see like, whether it could be politicians, it could be celebrities, but you see an interaction that is like something that would happen in my own life. Yes. <laughs> like, like that's something that my wife would say like, Oh, you should put your hand. Oh, right. Sorry. Yeah. And just doesn't matter if it's the president, like a yeah. wife is still, you know, a spouse can still be like, uh, you're, you got to do this part thing. of a subtle campaign to get him sympathy. Let's not, let's not <laughs> right, beat exactly. around the bush. It's part of this subtle yeah. humanizing uh, thing. Yeah. So far, yeah. so far it is, uh, it is the lone thing that they have done, <laughs> but it's not like, you didn't it, like it when he just bailed on her. Wasn't there that thing where oh, he just God. like ran away from her? I watched her that to get so many times. Things. Yeah. And then like, yeah. Oh God! But no, but it doesn't humanize him because it reinforces the idea that he's doesn't care about the country. Sure, yeah, reinforces that idea that she's sort of you know the uh, 
the she's the Kaiser Soze of it all. Isn't that also the <laughs> Oh wow. Yeah. I would love that. <laughs> Is that oh wow, that'd be an that's an interesting theory that he's just <laughs> yeah. this puppet. That's what someone told me. I forget who well, it was. That the idea that Donald Trump is a puppet puppet is not a new theory. Right, it's yeah, yeah. This particular puppet master is Indeed. new after the other half dozen yeah. that have been daring uh, greatly. So do you have theories about about who I, who would I, dare? I, I really don't. I'm just finding out about it now, right before uh, before uh, we started recording, and I just uh, listeners. Okay, or sorry, listener, w- you sent this to us. Explain why. Yeah, you, you can do it in the comments if you're if you're not worried about offending uh, someone. But I'm, I don't feel insulted. I'm just curious. Yeah, and I mean the uh, I, I, the return address or whatever just said it was from Amazon Fulfillment Services. It mm. was two separate packages, but both of them addressed to both of us. Right. I mean, okay. So two separate packages. Separate okay. Packages. Is this a new book? Yeah. Like a it, brand new book? It's been around long enough to sell more than a million copies. I can okay. tell you that. Yes. yes. Um. Now we need to. We, we should move on. Yeah. Uh, but I want to do the thing we do now, where I grind the episode to a halt and tell you what you can find over at sure. BattleshipRetention.com. Uh, it's time for Jim's monthly roundup of what's streaming, what's coming and right. going from streaming ser- services, uh, crossing the streams. That's that's up. Uh, you've got Sarah working her way through the uh, top 100 uh, paths of glory. She wrote about. Uh, West looked at Purple Rain uh, over at Musical Notation. Dane is looking at a series of contemporary Czech uh, films mm-hmm. in Czech that film tour uh, Alex wrote about Dursu Uzala uh, there are reviews up for Free Fire and Born in China and Jeremiah Tower and Citizen Jane and A Quiet Passion and Finding Oscar and uh, Aaron Jeremiah Tower now which Magnificent is that? that's the final Magnificent oh the, no, the last Magnificent okay thank you uh, and Aaron has started his uh, yearly sojourn down to what is it champagne illinois for the uh, ebert fest is that in champagne i thought it was in was it in urbana i thought uh well isn't uh, it like champagne urbana? oh yeah i guess so yeah yeah it's like they're like the twin cities right right um anyway you've and been then, to the twin cities so. oh yeah absolutely uh, anyway, the twin Illinois cities, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> champagne and Nirvana. Oh, it's the, the twin, twin, yeah, Illinois, it's the twin the, cities of Illinois. Oh, uh, it's the, it's the epicenter of, uh, of Illinois as we yeah, all know. He's, he's covering Ebert fest. So that's, not, that's just some of the stuff you can find over to battleship pretension.com. So I want to read you guys the open, the first, well, you want to get page. right up on the mic. To do yeah. That. I want to read you guys the first page of this. Okay. I want to follow along. Here. It might help. It, it might actually inform that, that you guys are being, um, maybe punked or something or, okay. or having a message delivered to you. Basically, they're saying that Rose, Theodore Roosevelt created the phrase daring greatly in his speech, Citizenship in a Republic, in 1910. This is a passage that made the speech famous. It is not the critic who counts. Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, okay, I got it already. Here's the thing. Uh, I have, in, I have in fact, recorded an entire video over my other website about this passage ah. and how much I, I totally understand what he's saying, but people use it as a way of saying, like, it's not the critic who counts, and that's really all that matters. Right. Doesn't matter what the critic is saying, doesn't matter what the critic is doing, it just gives us an opportunity to dismiss somebody who's devoted their entire lives to right. uh, studying a specific thing yeah. so that I, in my ignorance, can continue thinking this. So and, and, perhaps yeah. somebody uh, sent it for that reason? That so we don't count? A, this is a fuck you, huh? I guess so. Or, or, well, or, or it's just a reference like, to, it's just even a way to say that you did this. You know, you mentioned that. And they're referencing, they're kind of saying, here is this book that, you know, 
doesn't there's a place in LA called the one dollar bookstore. You can buy almost any book there for a dollar. <laughs> Maybe they bought two copies of it and just Wait, you know, where is the one dollar bookstore? It's in Eagle Rock, the, okay. the Eagle Rock Mall. It's above the Target. Oh, and I, I bought so many bad books there. Um, above the Target, I got an Clay's See, autobiography. I got a book called <laughs> How to Be a Working Actor. That's like, is it working? N- well, no, okay. but it's. I mean, I just got it, so it's, it takes oh, okay. about a hundred. You, you gotta know, work like the program three to six years to kick in. <laughs> but um, it's written by a woman who is on Guiding Light, and it's just very crazy. It's <laughs> okay. I, I I really there were parts of it that were just so stressful. It's it's pretty body shaming, and there's also <laughs> oh, a part wow. where it recommends that if you're a student trying to get industry to see you. For a showcase, you get on something called a phone tree. Like this was written in two thousand and eight, and I don't know. I don't think we were phone tree. <laughs> and there's a, there's a section that's called web biz. <laughs> again, two thousand eight. It feels like uh, you can't have web biz as a, a thing. And like they really make. I feel like if you're an actress from Guiding Light, you probably yeah. That's my, how you think. And there's a lot of men. There's like a the the shadow of nine eleven and the internet looms over the entire book. The entire book. So, uh, how to be a working actor was one of the books I got, and I'm just saying someone might have got these for cheap just to, and then mess with your brain. Yeah, well, okay. you know what? Mission accomplished. Because now it's I'm really angry. Messing with time. now, I'm starting to think it's like someone trying to like educate us. Like this happened. This happens sometimes. I'll say something uh, dismissive about Gamergate, and I'll get an email. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Why oh, yeah, don't you, you watch do this that. hour and ten minute amateur like YouTube yeah. rant that explains yeah. how Gamergate is really about? Let blah, me blah, talk blah, blah. to you for a second about <laughs> some of the things that have went into creating the so-called Gamergate scandal. <laughs> One. A woman who was dating a man and a thing and then and it has been the Get it? What about sorry so the video too? Oh, I'm all above it. You know, I'm at the point where it's like, oh, I'm I'm getting back into video games hard and it's uh and that cult I'm I'm realizing one of the reasons Trump won was actually because not Trump won, but Something went into this this whole thing of like video gamers feeling belittled didn't help Hillary win. <laughs> I can't put it better than that. Like they're so serious about this stuff because it's basically these two weird sides of people who are college student age, yeah, completely ideologically opposed, and yet doing the exact same things in real life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Playing video yeah. games, breathing, you know, sure. <laughs> eating. Just, just the two, I assume, those things. <laughs> but one of them, but one side thinks the others are like SJWs, you mm-hmm. know, people uh-huh. who uh, are, are and white knights and just trying to look good. And I don't know. I, I, I don't think it's right. I don't think that they're right, but I... I think it's interesting that these uh, dividing lines have been created, and it's it's really really created a negative a, a negative internet situation that we're all experiencing. Negative internet situation. <laughs> yes. That is a really nice way <laughs> yeah. of putting it. <laughs> so yeah, I'm not surprised that you know. I mean, it always happens when people with podcasts or you know, like anyone involved in quote unquote nerd culture, sort of voices an opinion on this that uh, it, they always are are felt are met with deep um uh what would the like deep defensiveness or you know attacking which is the opposite of defensiveness but, well you know and it's and so here i'm gonna say something uh, real here uh you know people people build their identities on any number of things mm-hmm. and and especially 
though nerd quote unquote nerd culture uh, is has gotten big over the last few years, there are people that uh, that really did for a long time feel like this is who they were. It could be video games, it could be comic books, it could be movies, whatever. Um, and so when you have somebody that looks down on that thing. Mm-hmm. And then maybe even uh, looks down on anybody that would be that this passionate about that thing. Then the person takes it as a personal affront. For example, I am now uh, really b- bothered by this uh, being sent this book. This might have nothing to do with it, right? Uh, and yet, I feel like it would have to be. I think you've hit on something here. Wow! And, but that's the thing is, I'm I'm somebody. I feel like critic uh, being a critic critic is very important. In fact. In two weeks, I'm going to be in Orlando at a film festival giving a whole talk about how important film critics and film criticism and critical thinking is to the larger and film it's world. Fallen, it's fallen you, to the wayside. You I better would, read I would this book beforehand say, so you don't make a fool of yourself. I exactly. Mean, I, I, when I say it's fallen to the wayside, it's only because I think it's really because film. I, OK, I'll, I'll just backtrack. I grew up. And my uh, parents had a lot of copies of Film Comment and American Mm. Film. This is from probably, and even Take One magazine, to go back to this really old Canadian film magazine from the 70s. You know, they had, uh, like, these these magazines that were documenting film culture from basically 1979 on. and, And I started reading them probably when I was 9 or 10 years old. And Film Comment. The, the the level of the criticism until about, I would say, 2000, you know, was so high. And you really saw the drop off, unfortunately, in that magazine, I would have to say, with the changing of, of the guard, for whatever reason, you know, you just didn't. Maybe it was just because people weren't as full of themselves. I mean, those critics from the 80s, you know, like Harlan, uh, not was it Ellison? Is that the Harlan writer? Ellison is the sci-fi. So writer. not there was a Harlan Williams. Not one, there was Harlan a, uh, a <laughs> well, there was a Globe and Mail critic yeah. named Jay Scott who died in the nineties, and there, there was a lot of these. I wish I could name some of these. Uh, I, I'm not. It wasn't Andrew Saris or Pauline Kell. It wasn't really any of the New Yorker people. It was this really specific uh, group of people who were writing for Film Comment, and they took themselves incredibly seriously. They took what they were seeing incredibly seriously, and. You know, it created this interesting uh, kind of like filmic Hollywood peak in like the 80s and 90s that mm-hmm. you wouldn't have thought was what happened, but it coincided with the indie boom and stuff. And it was mm-hmm. like, you know, these movies that aren't necessarily thought of now, like Lorenzo's Oil, you know, or <laughs> yeah. like like th- these were movies that they hung their magazine on. They'd go, Lorenzo's Oil is like the greatest. It's George <laughs> Miller's, you know, real, uh, you know, this wonderful take on on this working class family uh, with the Nick Nolte's Italian in that movie, by the way, <laughs> if I recall. You know, and, like they just took the films so seriously and and, and um I just it doesn't seem like it's the the intersection of blockbuster or like major releases and uh and 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 um deep criticism seems to be n- not quite at the same level you know yeah, so to go directly into film talk, <laughs> that's fine. We uh, we are or, very or Gamergate, or let's, we can uh, go back to Gamergate. No, I'm up for either. We're very it, we're very firmly into uh, something that I'm thinking about, not merely because of that talk I'm giving, but also so I'm I'm uh, listeners know, but I'm uh, telling you that uh, 
so I'm going to UCLA right now and getting my master's and I have to write a paper in the, in this class that I'm enrolled in right now. And I'm choosing to write about the changing role of film criticism and maybe the diminished role of film criticism, especially mm-hmm. in the days of like, not merely the internet, but also stuff like Rotten Tomatoes where everything is either rotten or fresh and that's it. And yeah. now even Netflix fan based, like almost yeah. gladiatorial. Well, and just thing, si- simplifying like, everything down to yeah. like, like I don't have time. Is it good or bad? Is it rotten oh. or fresh? Thumbs up, thumbs down on Netflix. Like, what is it? I don't have time even for a five star spectrum. Like I don't have time yeah. for any of that. And so it, it is something that, that, and I, and I spent an hour doing research today and, and there's a lot to, to dig into. And on one level I was invigorated cause like, cause it's like, wow, this is a conversation that's been, that the people have been having for the last few years, but also I've just been <laughs> almost depressed because the sheer number of articles by various websites and magazines that boiled down to are film critics still relevant? Is mm-hmm. film criticism still relevant? The sheer number of them mm-hmm. uh, worded almost exactly that way uh, was a bit disheartening, um, especially if you're trying to, you know, we might do stupid, silly shit on this show, but like, we take film very seriously and we take film criticism very seriously. Uh-huh. And so to have, and there still are people that do, but, uh, as I was pitching this idea to my teacher and the class, I, I said, okay, there's a thing here at the end. I wrote this thing here at the end and I feel like a lot of it can be boiled down to this, but it's not worded super well, which is at this point, film criticism is only important to the people that it is important to. And that's it. Like, I don't sure. know if it's part of the larger discussion anymore. But I mean, that may have always been true. That's what I'm saying. Right. I, I think yeah. the, there's for the, uh, you know, quote unquote average moviegoer, and I mean average in every sense of the word. Right. Five <laughs> eleven. Um, uh, <laughs> Thirty nine. <laughs> no. Uh, it, yeah. Uh, I don't know that it's ever been that that important. Well, it's tough because you know. Uh, so I, there was a time mm. when Siskel and Ebert. I recognize they certainly were not operating at the level of film comment, but that uh, show was no, very they, they popular. Were, they, they, they were pretty serious critics. Yeah. Though, you know, and uh, they certainly got flack from, from other critics about for what the their format show itself. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But at the same time, like they would go on Oprah, they would go on Letterman and they would talk movies. I mean, they truly loved movies, uh, yeah. you know? And so I would say that film criticism was part of the, I'm not sure if I would say it was a vital part, but it was definitely a part of larger culture. Whereas now, if I were to ask anybody like, oh, name a film critic, they'd probably say Siskel and Ebert, both of whom are now dead. Right. So, yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's that's kind of what I'm saying, even with the film comment discussion is, is you know, like, I don't think that the magazine as it stands now, I think is just still overshadowed by those old copies, which had these really... The, the essays were like serious in there and they did a great thing every year where they called it moments out of time and they would pick moments from movies mm-hmm. and just have a like little, and, and you know, it'd be about a 15 page piece. Cause it was like their sort of year end thing. And it would just be like small moments picked by different critics from films. I remember very well, like JFK, they picked David, David Ferry, uh, mm-hmm. um, um, Joe, Joe Pesci. Pesci's character, yeah. uh-huh. the part where you know he's being taken back in. To the, they said, "Well, no, Mister Ferry, we're going to have to keep you <laughs> inside." Yeah. Because why? Well, yeah. because my story, you know, really, which part? Yeah, and like that, that particular performance 
that scene is so amazing. I just was showing my girlfriend JFK for the first time. Yeah. That was sort of why I was telling you, you know, I'm showing people movies for the first time. And, and it's like JFK is definitely not a perfect movie. My impression of JFK is that it's just... Well, I do recall very well where I was. I was crying. I was. It was a sunny day in Texas, and and there was Mr. President. He was right there. It was like just various people doing their Texan impression monologue. You know, it's like watching an acting class where you just have to do a Southern accent. Which is why the Donald Sutherland thing is such a relief because he's in Washington. And the hour-long Donald Sutherland uh, like documentary on JFK, but by documentary I mean fiction. Yes. Fictional piece. Uh, yeah. God, I gotta watch that again. I do find that movie invigorating, though. It is. Oh, well, Oliver Stone is nothing if not a, uh, you know, a line of cocaine, right? <laughs> Usually, like, I feel like, I mean, Snowden was a snooze. I don't know if you... Snoozed, snoozed in. Yeah. That's, that's what it was. Uh, <laughs> if I were in film comment, uh, that's what I... I mean, I didn't see Snowden, and I... Um, I didn't see Savages, and I didn't see... Uh, I watched his documentaries most recently. I watched the one where he um, interviews, like, all the different Latin American... Uh, oh, right. You know, governmental figures. I never saw that one. It's like searching for Hugo Chavez or something, and some of that untold history stuff. And, um, you know... But Oliver Stone's an interesting one because... You know, he was taken so seriously by uh, magazines like Film Comment, or at least disseminated. Yeah. And um, I think something happened where, you know, maybe it's just we're in the hangover period where, like, movies that shouldn't have been treated this <laughs> <laughs> this reverently were, were done so. and Because, you know, Alverson also wrote some of the worst dialogue in the world in a movie that we all liked called Scarface, but actually, oh, yeah. when you look at that script, it's like that's the problem. I do not care for Scarface. <laughs> yeah, I, don't think, I, don't think I like Al Pacino. Though. I think he's really good. Uh, but there's lots of good acting in it. You yeah. know, I mean, like Michelle Pfeiffer does actually an incredible yeah. job, even if it is, you know, even if she was like that at the time, yeah. it's still pretty amazing. But yeah, Scarface. I, is one, yeah, when you were teen, uh, when I was a teenager, I watched it so many times. I miss Michelle Pfeiffer being in movies more. She's gonna be in. Yeah. Uh, this year's Murder on the Orient Express. Oh, looking forward to it. Um, uh, yeah. Now, you have not seen Savages. No. And you were talking about terrible dialogue. Nor Troy. I've, I've got a... What? He didn't make... He made Alexander. Sorry. Alexander. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Wilking Peterson made Troy. Right? Sorry. Did he? Oh, I don't think I remembered that. I, I thought... I might have just made it up. Okay. <laughs> but I thought it was Wilking So there is a... Well, you can understand a, why I'd make the... Sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So there's a uh, there's a terrible, terrible line in Savages, which the film is definitely from his like U-turn uh, right. school yeah. of filmmaking. Yeah. But uh, nobody wants that from him, by the way. No, they do not. Uh, where Taylor Kitsch plays this guy who's like a returning veteran, and he uh, and the main character, like you know, he has sex with her, and and when he does, it's just she says like, oh, he's clearly trying to work out certain demons or whatever, and then she <laughs> said, oh, good God, so I, I can't even. And repeat it and she Even says just what you're saying is such a fucking nightmare oh get ready <laughs> uh she says you know ugh. I can't even repeat it. She said, most people have orgasms. He has wargasms. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's like, guess what? That entered the popular lexicon and like whenever L7 put out a yeah. song called Wargasm. <laughs> yes. Uh, I feel Killing Joke had a song that had a similar name that I wore dance in like 1981. Like Oliver Stone. I mean, this is a problem is these people still think they're they're 
on to something, even you know, <laughs> even though they're seventy now. And when you hear, of course, Oliver Stone do these directors' commentaries, he talks like he's basically God. Like he's like, well, you know, we uh, we uh, really worked very hard on uh, getting all of these. Uh, dancers together for this scene in the doors where we uh, replicated uh, the San Francisco freak orgy and, and then so he's talking about that scene in the doors where it's yeah. you know like basically the sort of Dionysian you know right. and then my friend is telling me allegedly that uh, yeah. Oliver Stone's like offering people 50 bucks if they'll you know on the, if they'll like get more naked at it <laughs> like he has, he's, he's like a crass yeah. nightmare <laughs> you know and he's got this pompousness about it and, and yeah. that's I think why you talked about like, issue. Uh, uh, I like I don't even think you can credit it to the fact that he's 70 I think you can get to be 70 and still be aware. I think oh, it's, of course. it's just the fact that he's up his own ass. So, so many much. French it's, filmmakers like uh, were making amazing movies until the, yeah, you well, know, they, just last yeah. week I was at the, uh, classic Turner classic, uh, <laughs> classic film festival, classic. Um, and, uh, I saw the jerk and introduction by Carl Reiner. Right. Who's fucking 95. Yeah. And sharp as attack. Yeah. And hilarious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, comedians as, as you know, they're, they're a different, they're a different, yeah, but some of them, like, I mean, uh, for whatever you think, like, you know, I don't think Eddie Murphy's funny anymore. Like, Eddie Murphy definitely has, like, a strange pretentiousness that you wouldn't necessarily yeah. expect. And so I think some but people I kinda just like go, it. Still. Just their <laughs> yeah, you like I kind of like it, except that was, like, the late 90s was when a lot of people got heralded as being the next Jerry Lewis, and I think Nutty Professor, like, definitely sure. did that to... Eddie Murphy, and then sort of Austin Powers 2 also did that to Mike Myers. Sure. Well, and Jerry Lewis was also kind of up his own ass. Exactly, and it is like a Jerry Lewis (laughs) curse or something, because that was, and and I guess Peter Sellers, you could say that's a comparison. Sure. But he he wasn't a pompous person necessarily. It's just like a weird, vacant mess of a human being or whatever the... Yeah. I can't really remember what it... I don't know if you were vacant, goes to Peter Sellers. I I I don't know. know. Oh, he's here. He's here. Uh, This used to be his house. Uh, This used to be his playground? Yeah. This used to be his childhood dream? Yeah, it's it is interesting. What does Tom have to say about a League of Their Own? <laughs> I'm sure it had something to say. You know, that's what I'm saying. It really did approach because a League of Their Own had good performances in it, and oh, it was yeah, actually a pretty well made movie. You know, like it's it's like the the eight, I feel like the 80s and 90s is just getting back. There was this awesome workman like approach to, and there were great directors who were forced to work within the studio system, so they were like putting out movies like the Mortal Thoughts by Alan. I think it's Alan Rudolph who did that, and. Okay. Uh, uh, with Demi Moore and, and, and Bruce Willis or I don't know who made Presumed Innocent but a movie like Presumed Innocent mm-hmm. like these movies that were sort of film noir or thriller but they were they were throwbacks and and um, and you don't really have those any, I don't I can't think of too many uh, anymore maybe it's because it's just like so, so many tropes you can you can't just revisit that it's the mistress it's the wife that killed the mistress or whatever you know and it was what's the, happened now is those are the new B movies because the B movies are now A movies like mm-hmm. Fast and the Furious 8 is a is a tentpole yeah. not like the second half of right a, not Death Race 2000 right. in 1973 and now the the adult thriller uh mm-hmm is unforgettable starring Rosario Dawson and Catherine Heigl, which is sure. getting no press. Yeah. And like, I don't even know if it was screened like that. So that kind of, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know. Maybe the movie's terrible, but that kind of adult oriented, yeah. uh, you know, big star movie is now a B movie. That's not getting much attention. But that to me is like, 
if the movie is at all just a retread of these movies that were basically well well made retreads, you know. I mean, Mortal Thoughts is a very interesting movie. I would definitely. I mean, I haven't seen it in years, but I remember it had a real impact on me. It's like Demi Moore and Bruce Willis when they were married, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a great uh, actress in it who plays her best friend, and it's kind of compiling the events um, that led to his death, his, mm-hmm. you know, hmm. and and the sort of crisscrossing narratives and it's yeah. like it's a really well done version of that and it's just if you're not bringing anything new to it and we're 80 years into films you know 100 years into yeah. movies you know uh like I, we're gonna get tired we're not gonna care anymore you know so so but the 70s felt like it kind of didn't have as much stuff like that you know that it was its own era you know mm-hmm. it didn't really feel like it was retreads even the ones that were that way did had so much dead air. <laughs> you were like <laughs> different that's, feel. That's actually very interesting. Uh, I'm being very generalizing uh, here, by the way, but well, no, and that's, and that's when, when yeah, talking about like absolutely. a decade, it's yeah, hard yeah. not to be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, sixties some... was a turbulent time though. We can all agree. On that. <laughs> sure. I've heard that. Yeah. I don't remember who from, uh, <laughs> well, you know what happened is America lost its innocence. Yes. Oh, is that yeah. what happened during the turbulence? <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, obviously people zero, you know, focus on the seventies as like this game changer, mm-hmm. which is understandable. It was mm-hmm. in many ways, but to me, I feel like it, it's, it's something that so I'm, I'm TAing for this film history class. And like mm-hmm. when we hit the seventies, like there's a big discussion of just the change of Hollywood. And Everyone the change gets of, stoked. It's yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That is how my uh, professor put it. Everyone <laughs> is stoked. Um, Everyone's stoked, dude. Is, but, there, is Peter, is Peter Fonda the, Professor. Yeah, exactly. Yes, absolutely. What is the okay? David told me this. I didn't even hear it. Uh, the the film, The Hired Hand. Mm-hmm. That's a good movie. Peter Fonda does a, a commentary on it, and you told me that there's a scene where his character is naked, uh-huh. and he goes, "There I am, bare assed." But not embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> Why well, do I remember that? I don't know. Okay, I remember your cool stories. Yeah. yeah. Is that is that a seventies movie? Uh, yeah, that's yeah. seventy two. Maybe that's something like it's sort of like, like when you talk about the sixties. Generally, people are talking about like sixty six to sixty nine. Yeah, right. they're right? not talking. They're talking about yeah, yeah. borderline. 68 i mean yeah. you know i mean but then it kind of depends what kind of movies you're talking about too but any yeah, well, an early 60s movie and that's yeah like, and there's the early peckinpah in the 60s but I guess people too. talk about like the new american cinema of the mm-hmm. 70s like how many of those movies are after 75 it's really like 70 to 75 is when, when that well after really 75 is, right? i think you kind of get into there's there's good movies still it's i mean you know you're getting into this a pretty great period for uh you're getting you know scorsese and and uh and and um uh, Taxi Driver, and, and also the Godfather sequels, I believe. Is well, seventy four is 70, where that that's seventy four. Seventy four. So, so yeah. when's when's but the conversation? Right, when's the conversation? Also seventy four. So, oddly yeah, enough, yeah. So uh, that was when Coppola started to kind of founder or like what? Well, it's tough because he also made Apocalypse Now. That's when he made but, Apocalypse Now. But, so yeah. What I'm saying, I guess, the point I'm trying to make is that not that Apocalypse Now is not a great movie, but. Apocalypse Now is not, I don't think of it as part of that movement because it's after Coppola was already obviously established enough um, to spend a gajillion dollars oh, and yeah, make this yeah. crazy ass I movie. Mean, it's yeah. not, like this isn't, you know, this isn't Dog Day Afternoon. R- movie, rising you know? filmmakers in the mid seven, in mid late to, you know, mid to late 70s is maybe a bit hard to 
hard to picture besides blockbusters, you know, which kind of came into their own. Mm-hmm. You well, know, and that's that actually, point. and that's interesting because again, talking about this uh, film history class that I'm TAing for and talking about the way the studio studio system changed in the seventies. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, I think, I think you probably can split it up between like 70 to 75 or uh, probably more 67 to 75. Mm-hmm. And then in the late seventies, because the studio system's like, okay, we don't know. We don't know what to do anymore. Okay. Right. <laughs> we don't trust ourselves. So who's really big right now? And then, so they spend this next few years just being like, okay, people seem to really like this mm-hmm. and people seem to really like that. So, okay, let's latch onto these people and give them whatever budget they want. And so, uh, and it's not like they were fighting for control, uh, either, you know, Coppola wasn't necessarily fighting for control with the Godfather, but it was not assumed that, he knew what he was doing. Well, isn't isn't the story about the Godfather like he was pretty much being followed around by the studio, being like, "We're going to fire you. We're going to yeah. fire you." But and, he also, he, he, but he also like, had a producer that was like fighting for yeah, him as Robert well Evans. with Robert Evans. Yeah, because yeah, you know. that's where the, the the story that the Paramount wanted to because the the book takes place when the movie takes place, but Paramount wanted to save money to update it to. The, the 70s, early seventies. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Give everyone mutton chops. Is in kids, have kids James Con makes sense. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. He doesn't make sense as a guy from the forties. <laughs> he only makes sense nineteen seventy whatever. You know, I, I think it would be interesting to, and I'm sure plenty of people have, but it's something I've only been thinking about recently is to talk about the eighties in context of the seventies to yeah. see like the eighties as were they. Is it a confirmation of changes that were made in the 70s or is it a rebuke? Well, or a betrayal if you want to get sure. all dramatic about it or what I mean, what does any of it become? I mean, we're probably here now because of a lot of stuff that happened in the 70s in terms of where movies are. I mean, yeah. you know we are. And it's like um but I don't know. I mean, it's it, it's it's hard to it's hard to say like is it was Chinatown worth the two chicks, you know, like, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not, and nobody feels bad about the two jakes, but everyone feels bad that it exists at all. You sure. know, like it's not like anyone's watching it and is mad necessarily. And, but then Robert town also wrote to kill a sunrise in the eighties, which is like a pretty good movie. I didn't say it. I, know. Yeah, I never saw it. It's like late eighties, early nineties with, um, Michelle Pfeiffer again. And, uh, Kurt Russell and um, I'm blanking on who the other lead is. I'm very embarrassed. It's like and Mel Gibson maybe. That sounds right. That sounds right. Yeah. Um, so speaking of things that sound right, Wolfgang Peterson did direct uh, yeah. all two hours and forty three minutes of trial. Oh my god. Uh, anyway, by the way, did you want any background on me or who I? Sorry, I can launch right into movies. You grew up in Toronto reading film comment. That's what I. Yeah. I grew up in Toronto reading film comment. I did. <laughs> I grew up in Toronto in a basement full of VHS uh, uh, movies of uh, all eras and until it will not present era or the as years continued <laughs> right, whatever the new one right. that year would be added my dad was like obsessed with uh vhs taping of oh, channels sure. and he would also go and buy these unmarked plastic boxes of like classic movies like mm-hmm. oh, whether cool. captain blood or you know the robin hood uh, yeah uh, you know just any anything from that era Lots of the good stuff. And also, he was a foreign film fan. So we had Bob the Gambler, you know. Oh, yeah. And we had, like, uh, most of Truffaut's movies, tons of Godard, and uh, hmm. uh, Ran, you know. Plus, we had the movie network. So I was yeah. really just, I had. So, I mean, yeah. At what age, 
I mean, did you did you liked all this stuff? Like, you liked True Colors? Uh, probably by the time I was, like, 12, I watched, like, 12 or 13. Probably 13, maybe 12, I watched 400 Blows. That was probably... I definitely wasn't, like, seven and putting in that. So right. the, in, the, in the 80s, it was just, like, any other kid. It would have been, like... You know, Mr. Boogity and uh, Cloak and Dagger and and Monster Squad and and oh, yeah. the Indiana Jones films and the Star Wars movies and you know just all the stuff kids like. But but that scary boys stuff, Young Sherlock Holmes, sure. You know the the stuff that Stranger Things basically just sort of took and then made uh-huh. into a movie. Although I never really saw ET, I still haven't really seen ET. But I read Mad Magazine and that gave me a humorous <laughs> summary of all these other movies. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Light, a lighter side of ET. And that, that was like film, <laughs> film comment. It was kind of like the same thing reading. And I read Premiere and stuff too when I was a kid. Like I just, you know, I became, I would be like, nah, I'm not going to. I mean, I just read a big write-up on this movie. So now I might not see it or, you know. <laughs> and uh, a lot of the time, I, I think it's smart to just avoid. You know? <laughs> Wait, really? No. Okay, I, I just good. wasn't. Well, here's the thing. So uh, I've I've uh, said this on the show before, uh, mm-hmm. and I won't go into all the uh, background, but somebody that I uh, count as an enemy, um, and he counts me as an enemy. It's just uh, every once in a while you run across someone who's like, we don't like each Harry other. We both know it. It's Harry Knowles. It's Harry Knowles, absolutely. <laughs> um, I've actually been doing a lot of research on him, and I don't think I would care for him anyway. Yeah. Um, but uh, I was talking with this person about uh, Chinatown, mm. and... He, because he was. We're not, not going to get to find out who this person is. No, oh, it's, a okay. uh, it's a secret. But I and you, I don't think you've ever met him. You might have met him once, but it was many years ago. But uh, so he was over at my house and he was looking at my movie shelves and he goes, "Oh, he goes, oh, Chinatown." Close. What was that? You got to keep your enemies. Exactly. Close. Oh yeah, I had my uh, hand on my dagger the whole time. <laughs> and so, uh, so he said, "I said, oh, Chinatown. Yeah, I, I love it." And he goes, "Oh, I've actually never seen it." I said, "Oh, you got to see it." He goes, "I read the script. I think I get it." Well, I, I mean, was like, "I'm not talking about Chinatown when I say you shouldn't." <laughs> see a movie yeah you know like you have to see treasure of the sierra madre you have to see yeah yeah i mean you have to see any basically if any movie is called like a masterpiece from like pre-1970 you should probably see it because it's crazy that it's lasted that way i mean i showed my girlfriend sunset boulevard just recently Mm. she'd never seen it and it was like it's like such a gift to see a movie like that you know yeah it's Um, i i have so much I'm sorry to bring it bring it up again, but like TAing for this class and and t- getting to teach humble like brag. like Just like I, all I hear is humble <laughs> yes. brag. Wow, that is a, it is a hell of a brag that I get to TA for a film history class, a bunch of eighteen and nineteen year old non film oh. students. Um, but it is really exciting when they watch one of these movies that they would not have seen otherwise or that they've only heard of, yeah. uh, Psycho especially, yeah. uh, and a few others, but um, but like. You know, it, the 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 theater is it's got about three hundred seats in it, and the other TAs and I sit kind of near the front. And during Psycho, like the theater just had all the responses mm-hmm. that people probably did in nineteen sixty. Yeah. And I was able, and I looked back, and this is a visual thing. Sorry, listeners, I looked back during like the shower sequence, and sure enough, like there are a lot of these are these are arguably like more sophisticated film viewers because you know they've got they're watching movies that have more special effects or whatever it is okay. but like but you know what that shower sequence got them and i saw so many uh students they're like they're just like doing yeah. that the whole time like their their fists were clenched and all that and they were just like really freaked out and i thought like it's so exciting because 
that film came out long enough and these people are probably young enough that they don't know the twist mm-hmm. and that, well, they don't know either of the twists. One is that the main character does not last the whole time mm-hmm. and one and the other, them all away. Uh, Oh, sorry. <laughs> I didn't say who the main character was. Um, I guess I probably did. But, uh, and so it was just like so exciting to then talk to them, like in the, in the section that I was teaching and hear them say like, that was so amazing. That was great. And it's like, yeah, it is great. I'm glad, I'm glad this is like a timeless is truly timeless. Yeah. I mean, they were probably high. <laughs> I'm sure. I did it. Absolutely. Know, like, uh, hurt to watch, but uh, you know, you're actually making me think I should watch psycho in the theater because I've actually never really keyed into psycho when I put it on. Obviously hmm. by the time I, you know, the shower scene, I'm right there. Yeah. To clarify, you're not you're not watching the Gus Van Sant one, are you? I'm I'm watching them both on a split screen, <laughs> my Bluetooth, and having a conversation. You know, just trying to make money working in telemarketing while watching both web, Psycho. Web biz. Yeah. Um, no, I'm watching the original Psycho, and you know, I've 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 seen quite a few uh, Hitchcock movies. Definitely not all. That's the thing is, like, I'm just not a completist with almost any director. Yeah. It's hard, so hard to be. They have large bodies of work but uh yeah i just for some reason you know i love psycho it is amazing but i really only have like three moments in it which is like the end when he's thinking to himself and it's so crazy and obviously the shower scene and then also the reveal with the mom or whatever and uh but but i just don't think of it the way i think of notorious you know like like notorious to me was just like I was riveted from the mo- first moment. It was all of the actors in it. Yeah. And uh, like I, I kind of have almost more, I love those old movies when the movie stars are just like really, really allowed to just like shine. Like, yeah. Anthony Perkins was always basically a character actor, you yeah. know, like, and, and he really fulfilled one purpose, you know, as an actor, I think and he wasn't really allowed to be, I mean, who's in notorious? Is it, Claude Rains. Oh, yeah. Cary Grant. Rains and and Ingrid Mar- Bergman. Ingmar Bergman. Like, that's insane. Ingrid you know? Bergman. Ingrid Bergman. Ingmar Bergman Ingmar, is a very I different I film. I do that all the time. <laughs> and I've only seen one of his movies. I've only seen The Seventh Seal. You know? I might have seen one other movie. And I saw some of Wild Strawberries once, and I was like, oh, my God, I have to watch. Like, there's so many of his movies that yeah. I'm dying to see. And, and Yeah, I definitely have that. Um, I, my, I've admitted on the podcast before, but I'll admit to you, mm-hmm. I've actually never seen The 400 Blows. That's what, oh, it's so good. I know. That's maybe my most, my biggest blind spot. And I really hope it just address. still resonates as well. And I think, I mean, again, with Truffaut, he's someone who, because my dad liked him so much, I wound up seeing the bulk of his films. Like, I maybe didn't see The Last Metro, maybe didn't see, but I've seen The Woman Next Door. I've seen uh, probably The Wild Child I've seen. Like, mm-hmm. this is like, eh. but, uh, you know, shoot the piano player no. and um, Jules and Jim. Jules and Jim is really good, but it's it's a little bit precious, you might say. So it's it's and very huh. you know it's 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 a it's a narrative it's a narrative driven film like a narrator you know so it's like you know that's kind of a weakness sometimes in movies you know huh. and I, I should I was playing nineteen or twenty when I saw it so maybe that. I loved uh, it. So yeah, maybe yeah. the thing that the preciousness uh, appealed to me yeah. more then, but uh, I. I feel like I feel like I love Jules and Jim, but it's been a long time. I mean, it's beloved, and 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 rightly so. I just maybe don't place it in. It, I would probably put it third after, in my preferences after after shoot the piano player and four hundred blows, and also the Antoine Dwinell series yeah. in general is. 
I, I mean, what would you even compare it to? Like, it's maybe Mike Lee maybe would could pull off sure. stuff like that. But it's like to have a character who you're almost following as, as he goes through his mm-hmm. life in these. I mean, it's been done, but rarely in American movies, I would say, in a, yeah. in a way that you could like tr- track like that where you're watching this incredible, you know, John. And so many people don't even know that well, it's a series. Movies. No, right. right. Yes. Well, yeah. Thank you, I mean, that's it. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's those, like to even do a franchise with something like a, it would be if Woody Allen, you know, I mean, Philip Roth kind of did that in the books with his, uh, Zuckerman books, but, right. but you know, I guess there's the before series. I feel like that's, that's oh yeah, the that's, that's a harbinger to it. Yeah, yeah, the before series, um, but that's all. That's got a bit more of a conceit to it, where it's kind yeah. of about the coupling all the time, you know. Yeah, but, and it's and it's you know in real time for the first uh, couple, right? The third, no, only, the third only one is the second one is in real time. Oh, okay, okay. The first one, only the first one. No, the first one is overnight, so it takes place all night. Only, uh, only yeah. before sunset is actually takes place in the eighty-five minutes or whatever that it right. Uh, yeah, I've actually not seen any of them, oh. uh, but we did. We just purchased the uh, Criterion box set, so I'll I'll be watching. All I mean, three. I, you yeah, know, th- those are the guys who, if we're talking about current people, uh, Link Ladder is very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, although sometimes it's weird. His movies aren't. That's actually what doesn't really work for me. Is like they're not a hundred percent interesting all the time if i can say like they, they can have these draggy moments you know like like what's that one with jack black where he's the uh bernie he, yeah bernie bernie's cool oh but i it's, love bernie. It, it's it's really cool it's a great idea it's just that it's like it feels a little slight to me sometimes you know i mean I'm, maybe i'm critical because like i'm a teenager and i see all these movies of his and they just blew, blew my mind like at the time maybe up till scanner darkly was the one hmm. that really I thought it was amazing, and but I, I enjoyed uh, everybody wants them. I thought that was cool. Yeah, I thought that was good too. And I see, yeah, I yeah. still haven't seen that one. Uh, I could, I see what you mean, and that like he was. I I love Bernie. It was one of my favorite movies mm-hmm. of that year. But there, it is interesting to see where someone like Linklater started and then moved into. And I love School of Rock, mm-hmm. but it seems like so much more mainstream than what he does. And then he did the, uh, the remake of uh, bad news bears. And yeah, but days confused was mainstream in a lot of ways, you know, I mean, it, it, sure, it, yeah. it, it really was important in sort of shaping a generation's, uh, expectations in film, you know, like, hmm. uh, it, it, it was, but, but I thought that's what some of it was teaching was really good. It was like, let moments breathe and, you know, let, uh, you know, use non actors, you know, all this mm-hmm. stuff that's, uh, sorry, did I break your computer? No, it's fine. Nope. Um, but yeah, I mean, I liked Bernie and I, I loved that little, the toying with reality element of it. It just was, it just didn't feel even like it felt like it was in between a sort of revolutionary move and like a kind of straightforward thing. So for as much as he tends to embrace a very specific type of realism, Bernie doesn't like the main character. I, I, Again, I do love it, and I love the performances, but it definitely seems outside of his, like the type of performance that Jack Black is giving. Uh, David, you and I talked about the performance of Matthew McConaughey seeming particularly heightened. Yeah. Uh, And just, it doesn't, you know, when you compare something like Boyhood, which is very much rooted in reality, something like Bernie. I do think there's a through line in a lot of his work about looking at how uh, individuals function 
within a community. So sure. the movies yeah. are about people and about community at the same time. And Bernie yeah. is very much that about an oddball. Yes. Who was very much a part of this small town. And he kind of likes twists in a way, you know, like it, it, even if they're not, you know, cataclysmic, like in really the only plot point of uh, everybody wants some is that the guy's old, if not to ruin that <laughs> right, yeah. plot point, you know, but I think that was vague enough. That I believe I said, I haven't seen it. So uh, now sorry, I know the guy's old. some, some guy is old. <laughs> so thank you for that. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, just, just to get back to it, it's like that auteur thing. I, I'm uh I'm obsessed with it, and I, I, I should really try to find out who the new ones are because I really love, you know, like Todd Salons, whether or not you support <laughs> <laughs> the the way he treats his characters, the stories that he writes. What he's doing is like, it's I don't even know if there's a modern person you could parallel with. I mean, he, to me, he's like Guy de Maupassant, but like, a director, you know, like he's writing, who's like this, this French writer, right. Of like the short, the, the, the funny short story that was kind of cruel to the person, the, the characters within, which is, is, uh, that's Todd Salons. Right. Uh And yes, when he talks, it sounds like, you know, metal scraping on metal (laughs) and, and he does weird versions of commentary. It's like the palindromes commentary where he's just answering reader mail. (laughs) You know, I think it was palindrome. (laughs) Maybe it was like during wartime, but it was like, um, I've only seen welcome to the dollhouse and happiness. Oh, you got, you know, I mean, those are great movies. Those are movies that are, you know, the, that 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 fan out. Yeah, I liked Welcome to the Dollhouse. I think Happiness is amazing, yeah. but it, you know, you don't need to see another Todd Salons movie after seeing that. Is kind like of, your yeah. take on it? But th- yeah. that's that's dumb of me to say because I, lo- I love like made. I love movies like by yeah. John Cassavetes. His movies are not super pleasant either. You know, no, so you love the movie Prime Cut. That's a filthy movie with with uh, Lee Marvin and a 16-year-old Sissy Spacek playing a sex trafficking victim. I'm really putting a lot on you by saying you love this film, but... I, I did not see Prime, Prime Cut. Cut. <laughs> it's like a weird 70s schlock movie. Um, Lee Marvin in a schlock movie? Are you kidding me? Hard to believe. <laughs> but uh, just to get back to filmic origins, right. uh, it was like, you know, this movie, this basement full of like film comments and a kind of large but curated amount of VHS. Mm -hmm. And then because my dad was always a bit dismissive of David Lynch or he was, you know, they had blue velvet, but he didn't have a lot besides that. He didn't have a lot of David Lynch. He didn't really like stuff though. And he had some Scorsese, but not a lot. And uh, he was a little dismissive of the stuff that was more gritty, you know, Hmm, which I think is really interesting because as as generations and especially as young people, I think we're really drawn to that. But I think, as we, you know, as we age, it's like you don't necessarily want to watch the Chainsaw scene in Scarface, you know, again, no. or, or, you know, or Texas Chainsaw Massacre is like, I think that's an amazing movie, you yeah, know, absolutely. like, but, and I didn't see that for years, but, but, but you're not, you might not watch it when you're like 75 and you have like two years left, <laughs> yeah. you know, like you might watch some like, you know, uh, La Belle Noiseuse or something, you know, like <laughs> I thought you were going to say like secondhand lions or something. It's secondhand lions. It's with Michael Caine and Robert Duvall. Oh and it's, yeah. It's, it's a better movie than it has any right to be because right. of the actors in it. Knock but around guys. It's, you're watching knock around. Yeah. Yes. It's uh, yeah. secondhand lions is memorable for being one of the, those few post the Sixth Sense movies with Haley Joel Osment. Yeah. There was that. And then there was pay it forward, pay it forward and secondhand lions where, 
Right. Basically just seeing Hilly Joel Osment, Joel Osment be praised in Sixth Sense and then just not become... <laughs> no. like, uh, uh, I don't mean to mock, uh, and he seems to have a career now. Good for him. Well, it was uh, it was him in Sixth Sense and AI, and right. he was and he was like right. revelatory in both of those. But I think so much of what people were saying is like, oh my gosh, for his age, he's so amazing. And it's like, and then it's sort of he he like grew into his talent, and suddenly he's like, well, now he's just a ta- now he's just a regular talented actor. Who I needs mean, that? Jodie Foster is not going to happen every single time. <laughs> or actually, yeah. probably, you know, there's a lot of child actors who really do keep going. You know, like but Shia like, LaBeouf, who was yeah. like a child actor. But uh, you know, I mean, that's I think a we said this on a recent commentary. But uh, Wither Rory Culkin. Why is yeah. Rory Culkin uh, not in movies I know. anymore? Igby Goes Down was like such a that's great Kieran. job. Oh, that's Kieran. Right, so, I think, is Rory in that one, in that one as well? So which actually? one was Rory? Rory is uh, Signs and Mean Creek. And you can I, count I didn't on actually me. See. Oh, oh, well, I loved me, You right. Can Count on Me. I mean, that's another one. Lonergan is kind of in that category of people I'm talking about. And didn't he just do a new, a uh, new one? Yeah, Manchester, Manchester by the, the sea. sea. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's like it is something like you don't want to see happiness after you know or anything after happiness. <laughs> sure. It's like Kent Lonergan. I kind of didn't need to see anything after You Can Count on Me. Oh, you got you should. What are the it's, ones he did? Uh, well, not many. Just, just Margaret. Uh, Margaret. Uh, yeah. and oh, and Manchester by the Sea that's it they're both amazing Margaret yeah that, that, that was one? the one that he made in 2006 and then didn't, that. didn't come out until 2011 Anna Paquin uh, it's uh, it's kind of an ensemble but yeah. she's she's Mark the lead Ruffalo. that's a good I, mean, I don't think I've seen that one or or uh, um but but you know um the person who did election and um, Alexander Payne Alexander Payne because um, he he also made the Descendants and stuff right yeah, yeah. at some point I was just like okay I'm I'm starting to get these movies a little bit you know i think i'm uh, yeah, yeah post sideways on that early in alexander yeah Payne sideways fan. was kind of like peak you know like it kind but of there's enough out. like and maybe because of and the, i'm not criticizing him like, so much as uh yeah i, me, I didn't know? love descendants i didn't love nebraska but alexander Payne has a movie coming out in 2017 and i'm excited i like, actually I really like, enjoyed nebraska so so yeah i mean i really i did i did get a kick out of nebraska because bruce dern if you do some stunt casting like that where you're like inserting someone who i really really want to see mm-hmm. you know like i'm in you know like if you're a auteur like a good director you know like, now you said something that struck me as interesting and you said in, in regards to alexander Payne, but i feel shocks like, me by the way but i'm glad to it's the first it's, <laughs> it's the first the time so far but uh <laughs> yeah. so i'm taking note of yeah. it now okay cool it's yeah. like yeah. Okay. i'll remember an hour in every other conversation i have after this an hour and eight minutes <laughs> in. uh but uh it can be applied to any director, this idea of you watch a lot of their movies and it gets to a point where you're like, okay, I think I, I think I get this director. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, because I've had that thought as well, and I feel like a lot of film people probably do, and it's almost always said in a negative way. Uh, like, yeah. Um, as, as if to say, like, they're not going to surprise me yeah. now. And is that, but at the same time, on one hand, we want them to surprise us, but on the other, if they did something too unlike what they usually do, I feel like there tons of people will criticize they them. They lose for that. some of their auteur cred. They become yeah. journeymen at yeah. that point. Yeah, I mean it is sort of an argument one for the other. The journeyman gets no credit, you know, but like the person who directed uh, Moneyball did such an amazing job with it, but you don't necessarily Bennett Miller. Yeah. I mean he's not necessarily like viewed as a notorious either. I don't think so, no. Yeah. No, it's I mean, he he turns in dependably great movies right. like Capote yeah. and then Moneyball is my favorite movie of that year yeah. and then he did Foxcatcher which is a film that oh, is increasingly interesting yeah. in my mind Foxcatcher is a cool movie yeah you know yeah. I guess his movies 
tend to, they, they have a kind of a meditative quality to it, but I wouldn't say that's enough to think of him as not tour. You know, uh, but, um, uh, I, I, I had a point that I was going to make about directors, uh, uh, making the same movie over and over again, whether it's a good thing. Um, well, I, 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 I think sometimes that can lead, I, I, I I guess I'm, the point I'm trying to make is I didn't like Wes Anderson for a long time, and I still generally don't like Wes mm-hmm. Anderson's movies. But I loved Fantastic Mr. Fox, and it was almost like it's a great movie. Yeah, and, and it was almost like it sort of reset something. Like mm-hmm. I was like, okay, he can make something great, and now I'm going back to his movies and approaching them. Oh yeah, uh, again, I still don't like most of them, but I have. Uh, Grand Budapest Hotel has uh, I've seen it twice now and it has risen in my estimation. I mean, really? just the, the art, the set deck, art, art stuff in that is like so it, it's so beautiful to me that I thought it made up for what was at some point I felt like he just kind of like didn't want to do like a sort of family, you know, like these more really well right. uh, fine tuned dramatic machines, which like I thought Rushmore. It had so much heart to it, and I saw it at the right time that I just it, I loved it, and I also was like, "Oh, great! This type of a guy is going to be like a heartthrob. I'm fine. I'm gonna like I'm, <laughs> I look enough like Jason Schwartzman that this is helping me, you know." And the well, soundtrack was great, and then think, Royal Tenenbaums rewarded on repeat viewings. You know, I thought, mm-hmm. and, and I think uh, I, I dislike it less now than I used to, but I never yeah. really. I think there's a thing. Uh, to get back to why I like Grand Budapest is I think there's a thing in his movies where they're so airless so much of the time that even when like Bottle Rocket has like action scenes in yeah. it essentially it's totally it, different kind but of it movie. doesn't feel like it's it doesn't feel like there's momentum to it whereas Grand Budapest I feel like that movie is snappy and it moves and I think a lot yeah. of it is down to Ray Fine's performance but there's uh-huh. uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of really fun stuff and when it acts like when you get like the prison break sequence in Grand Budapest it's mm-hmm. not like an ironic postmodern version of a prison right, break sequence yeah. it actually works as a thrilling sequence which but his is so irony has him. been um i don't think he was ever been doing irony he's been arch maybe but i don't think he's been someone who's peddled in in commenting on what he's doing beyond just like i think his influence is clearly he's just in love with this imagery this look uh and the, the and, and these types of films and i mean my my qualm if I may use the word qualm, <laughs> yeah, uh, w- with Wes Anderson. I first think after of, you shot off a Guy de Maupassant, you can say qualm. <laughs> <laughs> you guys were like, "Is he really taking it to Guy?" <laughs> Don't forget, I'm from Canada. We learn French. Oh there. right, yes, yes. You know, it's not like I went out of my way to find out about him. Uh, they, they actually taught it to me in high school, and uh, I, um, was he kind of goes for like like it, trying to convey emotional weight in too quick a manner sometimes. And you know what I mean? Yes. And it's, it's a thing that has bothered me. It's actually a yeah. thing that kept me from embracing moonrise kingdom is that yeah. the way that he doesn't, it, he it doesn't, it's not Moonrise's merely kingdom. quick. It's people just declare what they feel. Yeah. Declarative. But, uh, you know, a moonrise kingdom, I was actually creeped out by like the one, the part where you made the actor touch the ladies, the other actor's boob. And I was just like, <laughs> I was like, you know, it's, we're a little late in the game. It's not 1973, right? <laughs> Right now, you want to make teen actors do this? I, maybe it was somehow CGI, but uh, uh, but you know, I, I I say that because okay, I thought Life Aquatic. I watched with my family. My my family would always watch a movie at at Christmas 
day we'd go to the th- the the cinema and 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 watch different movies. It was Life Aquatic one year. Quite often it was Wes Anderson movies. We also saw F- uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox that way. But Life Aquatic was like what's like t- t- like like so turgid was the word. Like it was yeah. just like it felt like it was you were on the sea with everybody. It was taking forever. But then there was this one moment where. Uh, they spring into action. This great like search and destroy starts playing, yeah. and there and and he suddenly actually you know the uh, Steve Zissou character is suddenly awakened to the fact that he actually loves this guy who might not even be his son, mm-hmm. and and you see it in Bill Murray's reaction, and it's like a split second, but it's actually pretty beautiful. I thought. And um, I've only I've only noticed it the first time I saw the movie. I didn't even really notice it the second time. It's really almost maybe I put it there, you know. But mm-hmm. but uh, and and the same thing happens in um, Grand Budapest Hotel where it goes like he was a man full of regret, and for a half second it just shows him staring eyes open as he lies in bed at the ceiling, you know. And I but think- the, but the frustration for me is that the the narration told us that he's a man full of regret and yeah. that, that's the thing that that often gets me every yeah, once in a while i didn't I, I didn't think it worked as well in grand budapest hotel yeah. but i've only seen it once so like i i thought he was just rushing through it to get to the next pretty picture you know like and yeah. and that that i don't like that i know? appreciated the uh, the audacity of oh. grand budapest hotel uh, it, exactly uh <laughs> i was reading it while i was watching grand yeah. budapest hotel not a multitasker <laughs> i like it um but uh but the I like that he is doing he, he's Grand Budapest Hotel is absolutely a Wes Anderson film, but he's doing very new things in it oh, yeah. and stuff that it does. Def, as David was saying, like it definitely has more of a pulse. Yeah. I feel like airless is a really great way of yeah. describing his, his he films. Is like a shoe, bo- a shoe box with like mask, or like clear tape or scotch tape. This weird Gwyneth Paltrow voodoo doll. <laughs> Staring back at you. All right. To get back into getting to know Nick. Well, I'm so sorry. But I want to know where the punk rock thing comes in. Uh, It was just growing up, you know, um, in Toronto, downtown, really in the heart of the city. So um, when I was 13, we moved to this area that was near a bunch of vintage, um, not vintage, near a bunch of cd resellers and and uh, a radio station that would have uh bands come through and i went to high school junior high and then high school and got into like indie rock and and would go to these concerts and so when i was 13 and i didn't know how to play anything really the only option was to scream into a microphone and i didn't improve my skills uh since <laughs> i've been toying with uh, delay pedal memory man effects on the vocals and worked on my lyrics. But yeah, I mean, I think it just was like, you know, the dead Kennedys or even epitaph records, punk, you know, when I was young, it just was there. And I could also see these people with my eyes get interviewed. Sometimes I remember there was, I saw the Ramones get interviewed. I saw Trent Reznor, you know, get interviewed. And so, uh, it, it felt, but I also thought that, the local musicians, because the first shows I went to were like local bands. I thought they were rock stars. You know what I mean? Even though eight years later I was working at warehouses with most of them, you know, and <laughs> and, and starting bands with some of them, you know. So, um, and I got into the Stooges. I was probably a very big one, and, and then it was just 
I love this sort of stylized screaming, you know, that Iggy Pop was doing. I mean, I wish I'd known how much of an accomplished musician he was, you know, and I would have probably forced myself to learn the drums or something. And uh, because rhythm is so key to to a good front person, you know. But uh, yeah, I, I did. A, I had a pretty good run with it. I don't know if I'll get back to it. I'm I'm in a city now where I don't have musician. I mean, I've done one. Uh, I haven't done that much musical collaboration in L.A. But yeah, how long have you been out here? For about a year, you know, pretty hmm. much. But on and off, I was. I act too. Actually, I should I should say that uh, I was in a movie called Diamond Tongues and a movie called The Sundowners that's coming out that were both directed by. Uh, this guy Pavin Mundi and the Diamond Tongues is on Fandor. I think if people want to okay. watch it, mm-hmm. and it was pretty well reviewed. Got into Slam Dance. Got a New York Times review. That was pretty thrilling, <laughs> right? The Times. Sure. You scoff. No, I'm not scoffing. <laughs> oh wait, you, you're one of these Trump guys, right? You think it's fake news, don't you? <sighs> well, you here, here's the thing. I'm not you know a Trump I guy. Do I do too. No, you're one of these Trump guys. I'm not a Trump guy, but I also don't like the New York Times. So, well, you know, you know it is weird, right? When you think about news and how much it reduces facts to like a pretty general thing most oh, yeah. of the time, you yeah. know? And it's like anytime you've, if, if someone wrote about, you know, this podcast in a newspaper, you know, it would just gloss over like a ton of stuff and we, you would not, you'd feel less than slightly, or you'd be like, that's not the whole story. It depends on what they said. If they said, these guys are the next Siskel and Ebert, I think I'd be okay. Right. If they, if they said, these guys are pretentious douchebags, I'd say like, well, I can't argue with that, but I don't, uh, <laughs> I, I, I wish you'd spend more time. Why do you like, why do you not like the New York Times? Oh, because uh, I'm a political conservative. That doesn't oh, mean, that okay. doesn't mean yes, I'm a Trump guy. Here's the thing, I don't dislike the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, I kind of don't. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's, I, I think Wall Street Journal tried to ruin PewDiePie. Yes, they did. I watched that. Oh, I watched another reason uh, the gamers are mad. <laughs> I watched. Well, they're just angry in general. But uh, I actually watched because uh, I didn't. I wasn't really super familiar with PewDiePie, but I saw what was going on with him over the last right. year. Yeah, and uh, oh, it's infuriating. What he has been doing. What, well, or what what's been happening to him. to him? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I thought that it was really interesting. Him and uh, Milo uh, happened in about the same week. Yeah. Uh, where Milo Yiannopoulos had the sort of comments he was using that were he he was he was he comments he had said on some podcast were then used by CPAC to you know uh, basically were taken and he was disinvited to CPAC yeah. in the same week PewDiePie had Maker Studios basically backed away from him and uh, then he put out this apology video that was actually I thought it was really good it was I thought and it was very different than Milo but I also thought that I you know I I don't like the way that Milo was taken down. I don't know. I, I know this is going in a very bad direction, <laughs> and you are feeling you are going to edit this part out. No, not but, at all. But I I thought it was it did a disservice to all sides of it. You know, which is what's happening so much right now. You know, it's mm-hmm. like uh, because he just. He said this thing about gay men, and he was conflating it with the idea that you know gay sexuality is often awakened in like a transgressive manner, and that's reality because it's been viewed as a transgressive thing. And so, for the left, uh, for so-called progressive people to kind of allow for this to be what was the breaking point for the right, I think was kind of selling out a, a level of 
realism, you know, and, and, and not having that discussion and saying, we let's not even talk about that. You know? Well, and it's also an opportunity to shut down Milo, who was uh, that's what I'm saying. hashtag problematic, David. That, 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 that's what I'm saying is it, like, it's like, you know, but at the expense of kind of allowing for a, a, a sort of homophobia, you know, or, you yeah. know, it's sort of like, oh, my God, men taking our children. It's like, yeah, I guess that's what he's saying. But it's like, investigate why this is happening and, and try to get acceptance to a level where that is not the norm. You know? And he was talking very much about his own experience and as well. And he was well. speaking so fucking off the cuff, at, yeah, into a microphone. And it's like, when they were using Howard Stern to, to sort of indict Trump, I was like, this is fucking bullshit. Like, what are you doing? Like, this is just going to make people like him, probably. Like, you can't do that. I mean, we there are, the, there are these bastions that are not about free speech, but they're about take it with a grain of salt and don't take it seriously inherently. And it's like, if we're going to start doing that, it's like, it's just really bad. And, and I'm not even trying. Like, I don't, I, I saw, like, I can't. Milo did this to himself ultimately. Yes. You know, so it's like, I'm not trying to say he didn't sort of get this uh, poetic comeuppance of sorts, which sounds sexual <laughs> when I put it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like, it just was a shame to see it be that way. I, w- I wish people had said, you know, it was so ugly when everyone booed the woman in the hijab on mass at the university that I think we shouldn't let this guy, you know, how about we not let people who ha- who are profiteering from sort of uh, thought, controversial thought, whether they're left or right into universities, instead of start banning people, just go, let the person who doesn't they're, all their fucking book proceeds are going to charity, you know, because it's opportunism. That's all we're creating. Where it's like a gold rush for people with opinions sure. right now. Because yeah, and it, everyone, the boy, this took a turn. I'm so uh, sorry. No, it's I, fine. You know, it's I don't very know much if it's that kind of a podcast. It, 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 ha- yeah, it yeah. has become that. Not yeah. merely today, but in honestly, since November, it would appear it has become <laughs> that. Not that we've steered well, away as from it. Conservative, you know, I actually feel bad because. I've never felt, seen a situation where conservatives is 100% happy with the conservative people in power. Well, it's, it, you know? I, I mean, I don't think anybody's ever happy with who the politicians are. Oh, the left was ready to be totally fine with Obama. No well, that's, I guess I'm that's actually true. really generalizing. That's not true either. You know? Yeah. It's, yeah. you know, you, you, I guess you, you pick your poison, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's, uh, it's interesting. A lot of the stuff that you're saying, especially because I am at UCLA right now. And my, my experience, at least at the graduate level has been, uh, really positive with, with, uh, people being okay with, uh, hearing other points of view. Now, admittedly, as far as I can tell in the classes, they don't expect to hear other points of view. Uh, so I will then volunteer it and they're mostly okay with it. The fact that I did not vote for Trump and never would have, yeah. uh, opens a lot of doors for me. Uh, that gives me a lot of cred. Yeah. Uh, that makes me seem like a good kind of conservative. I mean, and even that, uh, that's like the, the, the flip side of that is like, I also don't even like when the left is like, Oh yeah, Ben Shapiro hates uh, Trump and Ben. It's like, yeah, but he also would love to take away your reproductive rights. So I don't know why you're, I <laughs> wow, know you know, a lot of these people, I know all this shit. I've been obsessing <laughs> with it as I think, everybody should because it was um, it was such a surprise to so many people and I hate seeing the echo chamber escalate and I'd love to say it's on 
both the the appearance of an echo chamber. That's the worst part. Everyone is surveying what the other people is doing, right? But they're just sort of being so aggressive about it that no one is actually having a conversation that makes sense. the The one side is going, "Oh, you 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 know you you people on the left, or you're just crying and you want us all like nobody wants everyone else to die." It's I. I <laughs> can we talk about like no. uh, Hal Ashby or something for a second? <laughs> I mean, I actually am totally down for talking about this, but nobody yeah. wants anybody else to die you know what i can get behind that <laughs> as a political too, platform you know it's 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 just that i think that as someone who falls more on the side of like don't generalize about races or creeds or cultures sure i the reason i say that is because it i especially after 9-11 it was seemed like it was really escalating to like i want these people to die or at least not be in the same country right. as me which is generally the beginning of I want, you know, I don't care if these people live or die, you know? So yeah. that was why, that's why I've kind of held on to my, it's, it's not even so, uh, you know, economic belief necessarily, although I'm so bad with money that I definitely need a social safety net. <laughs> I definitely, <laughs> why? <laughs> yeah. So I guess I should say you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Uh, no, I can't get, I'm sure if I tried to get welfare here, I'd be immediately deported. So, uh, in oh. California, you're probably all right. California, <laughs> you know, I'll say this: uh, as much as I, uh, as uh, as uh, conservative as I might be, and as much as I might decry like the state, I will say so. My, uh, I don't know if I've put this out there publicly, but it is out there that uh, my wife and I are working towards uh, uh, fostering to adopt a kid, and uh, the state of California does. Wait, you mean a, a, a lamb, right? What was that? <laughs> a kid. When you say you're fostering to adopt a kid, you mean a yeah? I'm going to work my way up to a human. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's how they do it. They're very staged, <laughs> right? About it as a, <laughs> yeah, they were much really like the JFK you know, assassination. They're yeah. very staged. First, I had to like grow a potato in a cup. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, and so uh, so that's the thing that we're working towards, and the state provides tremendous uh, support for for foster families and that kind of thing. And just you know, I, I'm very aware of like, oh well, my at least my California tax dollars are going to something that I'm a hundred percent on board right. with. Yeah, and I like the idea of of the the amount. The degree to which the the state and the county are on the side of these kids and are like taking care of them as much as they can is something that is very impressive, and it's shockingly efficiently run. Well, I mean, Americans seem like uh, they have uh, a lot of time. They try to always have a humanism, you know, within their argument. Sure, you know, like sure. it's always like, well, why aren't you mad that? Why aren't you mad that this kid? Well, let me show you this picture of this dead kid. Why aren't you mad right now? You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like. Then the other side is like, why are you cutting off, you know, our rights and deregulating no. everything? <laughs> you know, the food and. Uh, but Hal Ashby, Ashby was just an incredible <laughs> influence on me. And I mentioned Bruce Dern earlier, and I loved him in Coming Home. <laughs> How about the landlord? Did you ever see the landlord? Never saw the landlord. That was just at the. Uh the Turner Classic, Classic, Classic Film, Classic <laughs> Festival. Um, <laughs> TCM movie <laughs> Turner. Yeah. Fest. Yeah. That's, Turner. A, but that's a good movie and also very, uh, uh, I guess, in terms of, uh, it's a movie that's about gentrification, but, you know, hmm. back, you know, made in 1970 or whatever. Right. Yeah. I don't know if I've seen any Hal Ashby films. You've oh. seen Being There. No. Have you seen Coming Home? No. Have you seen... Uh, What's the uh, the Bound for Glory? Oh, yeah. No, I haven't. Have you seen Shampoo? 
I have not. You talk about a person who was always changing as a director or yeah. always doing something exciting, like Billy Wilder, you know, is famous sure. for being like that. And Wait. I think Hal Ashby really pulled that off. You've Does seen he, Harold and Maude? Yeah. Nope. Wow. Maybe, maybe, and I think we're getting to like most of his movies. I saw Predator. Was that Hal Ashby? <laughs> yeah. He wrote, you know what? He did uh, Second Unit on Predator. Um, that's why there's that sort of earthy tone, you know, and it's unnatural feeling. Yeah. Uh, but he also. He was in charge of wrangling Jesse Ventura. <laughs> yeah. He, he actually, you know. Ventura improvised uh, Ain't Got Time to Bleed at uh, Ashby's request. <laughs> He's um, like, you know what? You know what, Jesse? Let's just go off script here. What do you think? He was, it was really weird the way it was made. He was like, what ain't you got time for? <laughs> I got time to bleed. It was like, it's great. It was huge. That's why Apatow loves Hal Ashby. The way he directed Ventura. Poor Ventura was relegated to second unit. In all of, he was never filmed. <laughs> Is that true that Judd Apatow loves? Uh, Hal Ashby? Yeah, I mean, that's something that I'll, I, I remember he said that on um, Inside the Actor Studio or something, you know, that he yeah, repeatedly, and I wasn't just there, that he's so influenced by Hal Ashby, and I never see it. Are Hal Ashby's films also two hours and 45 minutes? Yeah, that's. Uh, are they? I don't that, really no, think so. I think so, that's, no. that's the, the exact point. They just feel like they are because yeah. they're from the 70s. You know, like a 90 minute <laughs> 70s movie feels like it's uh, the second Jaime, you know, like it's like. A, <laughs> okay, being there is two hours and 10 minutes long. That's so. barely, okay. but that's, I mean, that's that's barely, to, you know, that's a, that's acceptable to me. Two hours, 10 minutes. In and the 70s, that's acceptable. I mean, it's not a comedy, you know, it was like exactly. a big idea movie. It was based on a book. It was like, it's got. Peter Sellers, you know, in, in as a as an icon, you know, and it's it's uh, and and last detail is a really good. Hot I've heard movie. great things about yeah. that, and I've, I've been told I've been told I would really like that one. Now I yeah. want to go back to bashing uh, Judd Apatow for a moment. Um, <laughs> sure. I, yeah, I I, mention, yeah, it's because he's a lefty, isn't it? Because he's a loony leftoid. <laughs> that would. <laughs> He's part of the loony left. Uh, that would limit me considerably. Uh, yeah, exactly. Being doing a movie podcast, you're like, I like James Woods. The only Oliver Stone movie we're seeing is Salvador. Not the other one. Um, being there, two hours and ten minutes. Okay. Still four minutes shorter than This Is 40. Yeah. Which is, I yeah. feel like you're a comedian and an actor living in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Maybe... I don't want to put you on record sure. as talking shit about no, Judd Apatow. I, I'm actually not trying to criticize him too hard. I'm not, and I'm not, this is probably will seem like deep backtracking, but I actually, uh, I really appreciate, you know, Judd Apatow's movies. Um, I've been pretty, f- I've, I, I've enjoyed including this is 40, uh, more than a lot of, you know, people who've challenged me on it is like funny people, you know, because, these movies have a couple of moments of humanism in them, and that goes a long way. You know, that's what it really comes yeah. down to. So the fact that Funny People had a resonant moment in it where Jonah Hill is fighting with um, Seth Rogen about being denied, wanting an opportunity or something, and he goes, I just wanted another thing. You know, and it, it just it just felt real to me. And it's like, if you have one or two moments like that in a movie, it really can make up. But even if one or two moments... Like, you know, as a portion of a two hour and 20 minute movie, mm-hmm. like the percentage of the movie that is good <laughs> yeah. keeps yeah. dwindling because I think the the narrative that I'm projecting on Jay Avatar, uh is that he made this is 40. Uh, no, this is 40 he made the 40 year old virgin. And um, this is the 40 year old. And, and not a movie. And they were both great. And probably they made a ton of money and they don't cost a lot of money because they're not big effects movies right. or whatever. And so then Universal or whoever just said go ahead and make whatever you want. And no one is, 
<laughs> like, uh, yeah. There's he's not getting any. He's not coming up against the word no anywhere, and that's yeah. why his movies are too long and so sloppy. Well, he's also extending himself to like a pretty massive. Uh, you know, he's doing these two TV shows at this point. You know, he's got. Uh, He's doing stand up all the time. Uh-huh. He's no. he's editing books. Like he's you know, he he I think he's just a nerd who's uh you know, gone been handed the keys to the city and, and he's just like doing as much of it uh, with it as he can. He also has this comedian mindset where he wants to uh reward comedians and who you know whether he's known them for a long time or it's it's something that obviously he's incredibly enraptured by and fascinated by, even though it's something he does himself, you know? So there's all these elements of Judd Apatow that are just impossible for me not to respect. And it sounds like he's also pretty hands-off when he kind of likes somebody, you mm-hmm. know, or that he, or not hands-off, but when he likes someone, he gives them faith and then does gives them a show. I mean, so I think at That's this point, point yeah. I could get hired if I impressed him <laughs> in three to four meetings after 10 years or so. So, uh, we can go back to say whatever you want now about the movies, but I have a dumb, I have a dumb joke to make. I, I don't have anything else to say about Judd Apatow. Maybe his <laughs> movies are so long because instead of hearing no, all he ever hears is yes. And <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, the improvising Inside is, base. is a, is a big part of, of, of those movies. But yeah, I always was like, Hal Ashby, I never thought of, you know, him at all being, uh, doing what Judd, uh, what Hal Ashby did because were, his movies all feel so different, you know? And, uh, I mean, coming home, you talk about an epic feeling movie, even though it's just, uh, it's, it's just, um, about a, a carry it's character study between like mm-hmm. three characters. Basically it has this epic feeling because the war is a part right. of it. And, um, it also has like, he has more in common with, Wes Anderson to me, like Wes Anderson seems like he's influenced by Hal Ashby because mm-hmm. have you seen coming home? I never have. No. Oh, you gotta see it. It's so good. I mean, it's just like emotional, you know, Jane Fonda is someone married to Bruce Dern who's, and she, and a, well, he's away in Vietnam. Uh, you know, this injured, uh, veteran played by John Voight, probably one of your favorite actors is um, <laughs> it's funny you should say that uh, because for a long time he was my least favorite actor but yeah. you know what i'm i'm warming to him especially as i see his earlier stuff yeah his early stuff's the good stuff maybe it ends with like mission impossible you know mm. as, as he's he's f- f- pretty subtle in that compared to uh anaconda, anaconda. Yeah. although he's he's actually quite good in ali but that's because he's playing a human cartoon right so it's okay yeah yeah, I mean John Voight's interesting, but but yeah, it, and it's just it's a really heavy movie. It doesn't really it's just a beautiful film and it starts with this great Rolling Stones cover of Out of Time, you know, and it so the soundtrack's cool and it's 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 just like a lot and it's really brutal and kind of sad, you know, in the end and and uh yeah, I mean that's almost my favorite Hal Ashby movie. Well, it's now I've got to have an eye towards wrapping up here. Right. For yeah. Quite I'm a while. sorry. It's, I so, know. I've been, <laughs> there's no reason you I've to apologize. Say, 18 you don't have times. to say sorry. Or, trying to you don't have to say sorry or, or sorry. I only right. get my <laughs> grant. I only get the travel grant. If I say I'm sorry. 15 times. <laughs> um, uh, on a podcast. Are you a guy? Do you have a favorite movie? If someone asks what's your favorite movie. Who are you guys? Who are you guys? <laughs> yeah. Who are you guys? Who are you guys? <laughs> Roll over Beethoven. 
<laughs> Sorry, that's uh, really inside baseball in joke about a uh, WTF. I heard. What were you asking? Do you have a favorite movie? <laughs> Say what? Um, I uh, do I have. A, I it's, I don't know if I have a favorite movie like of all time. Um, it's so hard because they're all so different. You know. Um, do I have a favorite Indiana Jones movie? Yes, The Last Crusade. Is that really your favorite? That's my favorite. You're incorrect. I, I understand why you would say that. Most people say that. Uh, Last Crusade is the one that I feel like those movies are borderline meaningless. So we can uh, we can just pick it at anyone we want. <laughs> no, I mean, I love the relationship between the the father and son in That's Last true. Crusade, and it, and I thought that you know that was I probably it was the only one I saw in the theater. You know, it makes a big difference. Huh. And you know, I think maybe. Okay, I'm just now thinking of this. Mm-hmm. Maybe one of the reasons that I don't, I don't dislike Last Crusade. There's a lot of great stuff in it, but um, one of the reasons that I don't really respond to it is because I think you're correct. Those movies are largely meaningless. <laughs> but by mostly thanks to Temple of Doom. Let's face it. <laughs> well, I do love Temple of Doom, but uh, there's, but there's the, a real. Uh, there's there's a a cult uh, of Temple of Doom yeah. uh, admirers. George that, Lucas that and never... Steven Spielberg taking out their divorces on four little short rounds, poor <laughs> Cape Capshaw, and he falls in love with Cape Capshaw uh, on the set of it. And meanwhile, the chemistry between her and Harrison Ford could not be less. And the chemistry between Short Round and Harrison Ford could not be more, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I like Karen Allen. Uh, oh, absolutely. She was great. She was so great. Well, she's like this movie. strong, tough. She's not the damsel in distress that Kate Capshaw would be. Yeah. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, she says, I'm your goddamn partner. Yeah. But uh, I first saw Raiders of the Lost Ark on TV. Sure. I'm your new damn partner. Uh, is what it was. <laughs> but you can't say goddamn on TV. In your reasoning for why, uh, for why you didn't like, uh, Last Crusade. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I, th- it tried to inject meaning by having this father and son relationship. It tried to like take it into this thing. It's like, no, 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 that's not what these movies are about. Stop trying to bring your father stuff into this Spielberg. Come on. But to me, I was like, I want this stuff. Yeah, it's effective. You know, that's the thing I want is this stuff. I mean, he's, he's so manipulative that it's, 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 um, all it's borderline ridiculous. And I, I think that with Steven Spielberg, when it works, like, I'm happy. And uh, you know, Schindler's list. I, I, again was one I didn't see for years cause I read a film comment takedown of it. Yeah. That made me go, you know, I'm just going to skip this one. And <laughs> <laughs> I wish this were a video podcast yeah. at this point. That was a fun little head thing you did. <laughs> and then I was so dainty in the way I said, so sassy. And, uh, then I finally watched it and it was like amazing, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, it was because, if you're going to be emotionally manipulated about something, it's maybe you won't don't really need to be manipulated that much with the Holocaust. It just kind of yeah. happens. And, you know, it, it's like it sort of does the he didn't really need to do that stuff he did in Last Crusade or, you know, it, it was so clumsy in Munich, the sex and the shooting, you know, I the, love Munich. I love that part, too. <laughs> I love that part, too. But there's people who hate that part. Yeah. Yeah. They are. yeah. And um, anyway, but favorite movies of all time. Let's I'll tell you some ones that really had a huge impact on me. Grand Illusion was incredible. I do love it. Yeah. Um, Sunset Boulevard is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to say. Um, King of Comedy is not one of the best movies of all time, but it's a very special and underrated Martin Scor- uh, Robert De Niro performance. And 
and it's a it's a great movie. It's a great movie. Yeah. And what's interesting is that when I first watched it, I remember thinking like, this is not as kinetic as Scorsese usually is. And then I realized like, that's probably on purpose because he's yeah. telling a story of a uniquely mediocre person. Right. Yeah. I never thought of that. Just like someone that's, that is himself not that interesting. Yeah. And, and, uh, um, I'm trying to think of, uh, uh I want to keep going here a little bit. I mean, like I, I, it's so rote to say something like the Godfather, you know, but sure, yeah. it's hard not to ignore the Godfather. It's hard not to ignore, um, I don't know, like, uh, breathless. I mean, I hate to say that. It's like it's so interesting how movies wind up folding into them, each other, and they're they're all so good. Like HUD is such an un- interesting movie. Coen Brothers movies are all to their own. So you know, <clears throat> what's the best one of those? And you know, uh, maybe that's one of the best movies of all time. I don't know, but, but I did. T- uh, yeah. uh, I'll throw that out there, and I know I know we need to we need to. Yeah, answer, sorry. But, um, yeah, I feel. <laughs> Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, we've done episodes sorry. that that go for hours long. Yeah, so. you're talking about movies. Yeah, with you're gonna people. be fine. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, what? Uh, I'll throw it out to you guys. What do you think is the best Coen Brothers movie? That's a cool question. I, I don't know. It changes. <laughs> it changes it all, all right. the time. It is a bit I think shifting. My gut right now wants to say No Country, but okay. yeah, No Country for Old Men is incredibly strong. True Grit's incredibly strong. I thought I saw that in the theater, and I just thought the way it looked was so good. Mm-hmm. I know the fact it's like a pseudo remake is like maybe a point against it. Like, uh, okay, let's, let's just think about this well, for a moment. Barton Fink is my favorite, but that's not yeah. the same as saying the well, best. That's it is like, you can say, you know, Miller's crossing has this thing, like the way I felt when I first saw it again, because of an essay about it in film comment and about whether the hats, you know, the wink at the end and sure. all this stuff. Like, uh, uh, but I don't know. I haven't rewatched it very much, you know. Um, it's great. What do you think? Fargo. Tyler. I think it's think pretty Far- definitive. Fargo is probably blow for blow the best one. So yeah. here's why I so, ask. A, a, a single, a serious man is a really good man. One. That's and great. Well, yeah. Let's not, I mean, as comedy fans and comedians, mm-hmm. let's not uh, overlook Raising Arizona, which is maybe a, a top five comedy for me. Here's like, not just comedy, like a top five. I mean, they're great comedy directors. Here's why I ask. In talking with my fellow students, because I'm a solid 10 years older than anybody else in my mm-hmm. class, the three of us, even when David mentioned comedy, none of us said Big Lebowski, which is a great movie that I enjoy. Sure, yeah. Yeah. So many of my classmates say that that is definitively their best movie. I mean, it's a pretty, um, it's a pretty amazing movie because of what it's trying to do and that it manages to do it. Yeah. But it's again, it's another one that really kind of requires repeat viewings. I would say like the first time I saw it, I was kind of like, I don't know. I don't know why I was, uh, I think it was because I was like, I get it. They're trying to do the big sleep with this like kitschy guy, you know? And then I still liked it a lot. I just, well, I've, that speaks to my, what I've said about the Coens before, because they can sometimes in terms of the tone or the subject matter, they can shift so drastically from movie to movie Mm. that I think a lot of people, had trouble with Big Lebowski at first because it wasn't 
Fargo. Right. Yeah. And I think because I think the same thing happened to Burn After Reading. They made right. No Country for Old Men. Yeah. Everyone loved it. And then no one really got Burn After Reading. But if you which follow their career. Is, yeah. But Burn After Reading is fucking great. <laughs> like every time <laughs> I return to it, it's better. See, I only watched it once and it was in a very sort of perfunctory manner. Like I was like, oh, I have this DVD I bought for $2. I'll, I'll watch it. You know? And I was like, I there's that movie and um, they have quite a few movies that wound up being like that because Burn After Reading was. Uh, in the same ballpark era wise as Intolerable Cruelty and of course the Lady Killers. Which but the difference about Burn After Reading is even even considering Fargo and a serious man, Burn After Reading might be the darkest comedy they made. Yeah, I mean Because I, I, it I, doesn't read as dark. Like <laughs> horrible things are happening and right. he just doesn't give a fuck yeah. about them. Someone gets killed with an axe, right? Right. Richard uh, Jenkins gets, yeah, his, his skull caved in with a hatchet. <laughs> yeah, and the, yeah. the reason it's so dark is because the movie isn't treating them like no one in the movie gives a fuck about anyone else in the well, movie and yeah. so it, it it's so empty and nihilistic and hollow to me that it uh, and it I puts it. and it I mean, puts a delightful button on it at the end yes. you know they worked with like Barry Sonnenfeld and Sam Raimi a lot in the, the, their yeah. formative you know film times so and those are people who have a uh, Looney Tunes uh, uh, well Barry Sonnenfeld's like Looney Tunes violence and then Sam Raimi sort of is too but it's more comic book you know yeah. and uh you see that in their work. It's like they, they can sort of make death feel ridiculous and then uh-huh. they can make it feel like the heaviest oh, yeah. thing in the world. And uh, uh, I'm just trying to think of I a movie. I love the part in speaking of cartoonish violence in, in Miller's Crossing when Gabriel Byrne hits uh, Mike Starr in the mouth of the chair. Yeah. <laughs> he picks up yeah. the chair. And, some, and he did, uh, what's, what's Gabriel Byrne's character's name? Tom. He goes, uh, Jesus, Tom. <laughs> yeah, and then he like, walks out <laughs> holding his like kind of body. Jesus, Tom. <laughs> yeah, I mean, man, it wasn't there. It's, it's obviously not It's not their best, but it's it's a pretty, it, it, it has some moments. I mean, it has, James Gandolfini does a pretty good performance in that one. And, and, uh, uh, and it's beautiful. Like it's was gorgeous, and yeah. it's a beautiful movie, and and uh, serious, serious man. What was there was something that was around, and the comedies for some reason, Hudsucker Proxy. When I saw it, I was like, I thought I hadn't seen anything like it. You know, yeah. I, I really was like, it's kind of a nod to like these fifties movies I haven't seen, uh, <laughs> right. but it also isn't, and it's so ridiculous and almost borderline John Waters and it's like mm. sort of silliness, you know, the way they're getting the actors to act, you know, is reminded me of, uh, you know, Pecker or, or those, the sort of sure. when John Waters was working with, with those casts. And, and, uh, I feel like I'm missing, uh, like my, my favorite one and raising Arizona is really good. I just feel like it's kind of a little bit, a lot of those eighties ones are feeling a bit like they are their age, a tiny bit to me, even though blood simple is also amazing, you know? Yeah. So I do, I, for me, I feel like my, so my favorite is, is Fargo and I think it's their best. Yeah. And then fighting it out for a second, is No Country for Old Men and Inside Lewin Davis. I love oh, that that's movie. A good, that's, that's a really a good movie. Good. Yeah, I mean that, and that's a very different movie. You know, yeah. that's that's a really like in their where does it stand in their thing? You know, like I mean, I know people that that are fans of theirs that don't like it at yeah. all, and I yeah. and those people are obviously incorrect. But right. it's like I am about 
Last Crusade. Right, yeah, that's not your favorite. I mean, you say it's your favorite, but you're wrong. And the welfare state, the way I am about that. Right, I mean, no, no, it's, uh, it works. My opinion of Satirism. No, 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 it, wor- it works for you on my back. It's fine. Are there any other movies Seems that like you... have a strong back. Uh, do you still have that, uh, like you said, you read Film Comment and decided you would give Schindler's List a pass. Do you still have that uh, contrarian Yeah, uh, definitely. Streak? What I have mean, you skipped recently? What? Well, I'm not skipping. I mean, I I didn't see. My friends went and saw Ghost in the Shell, and I like was gonna go, and in the end, I was like, I just don't want to spend like twenty bucks. I don't know yeah. what it's gonna be. That like. one's fine. You know, I mean, like if you skipped La La Land or Moonlight, that's different. Well, I've I haven't seen those yet, but uh, it's like not because I wouldn't. It's right. just because. Uh, my, I was at my friend's house and he had, he had actually had the screeners of both, but it was like, I watched the OJ documentary and I watched American beauty. You know, it's like, there's so much to do that. It's like me not going for one at this point is almost meaningless in terms of that snootiness because there's just so much out there that yeah. it's like, I, I, I feel like there would be a really good example of something. I mean, I do this to my girlfriend all the time. She's like, do you want to watch this? And I'm like, no, but it's always, she wants to watch some documentary about <laughs> someone you, getting cut up. Do you say it like that? Yeah. I go, no, <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, I keep saying we got to wrap up, yeah. but, um, who are your favorite Canadian directors? I think Cronenberg is sure. just like, in terms of, the consistency and I, but when I, I shouldn't even say the consistency of tone. Like it's like he's someone who his movies feel weird. They feel like stage plays sometimes. They feel they feel stagey. They sometimes have these plot elements that are like frustrating. You know, like the yeah. end of Eastern Promises is like with the babies. No. There's actually you know uh, I think I feel like we, we should have you back. Yeah, uh, on the show in late June, early July, around Canada Day. Yeah, because there's a topic that I've always wanted to do. When you need a Canadian to do it, is because I just said who are the best Canadian directors. But what I'd like to know is who are the most Canadian directors? Like mm. who's, whose films do you think feel Canadian? Do I you mean, know what Cron- I mean? Cronenberg's feel like Toronto movies. He, he's really? one of the only people who captures Toronto in a really s- the the way that it is, which is like I was actually just watching Dead Ringers literally yeah. two nights ago. Yeah. Most of them are shot in Toronto, like yeah. Dead Ringers, The Fly is. Uh, I'm sure that Scanners is. I'm sure that Videodrome is, and uh, Existence, and uh, um, yeah. I mean it's just. He's one of the he the the stuff he's approaching and it's it's always kind of similar subject matter. It's very icky. Obviously, there's like a almost not um, there's not really an emotional feel to a lot of his movies, but there's a clinical feel, you know. And yet, he he gets such great performances out of his actors, like oddly emotional performances. Yeah, and also they're they're really about the big moment and that it represents. I mean, it's a little bit heady to compare it to like. Say like Dostoevsky or something, hmm. <laughs> but I've already mentioned Gita Mopar. <laughs> and this is a film nerd podcast, and I'm going to say that uh, this is a podcast, right? You guys aren't on serious yet. Right? Oh, uh, this actually isn't connected to <laughs> anything. Okay. We're just we like We're to just talk talking. to people. You just yeah. want to see me get my moisture sweat a few hours in. And- so uh, now this brings up a question. Then, uh, if you think if you feel that David Cronenberg is particularly Canadian. So it, the way that I see that a lot of people see David Lynch as, as being uh, like looking below mm. the surface of like traditional Americana. Yeah. Does that mean there's a, there's a perverseness under the heart of all the Canadian niceness? 100%. <laughs> uh, uh, Google Clifford Olson, 
Google, Google Paul Bernardo, you know, okay. Google, just go on Google and hit, I'm feeling lucky. And you'll probably (laughs) find some horrible Canadian. You know, I mean, it's, it's like everyone is turning their head, you know, like things are happening and can you know, we'll never know because everything is really spread out. There's like farms, you know, there's the pig farmer guy in Vancouver. It's like, and that's the, it's a country that's under the shadow of America, you know, um, absorbing its culture, fighting to retain its own. It's got this weird waspy cat, like Catholic kind of self hatred, you know, mm-hmm. underneath it. Hmm. And, uh, this kind of nimbyism that mix, you know, of, of any smallish place and uh, like population wise, you know, and mixed and, and, and also this openness and kindness, you know, it's like, you're crazy inside. <laughs> That's what you're doing. You're having so many different feelings. You're full of rage. I mean, you know, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, he's, he's quintessentially Canadian. I think, uh, Egoyan, um, yeah. is similar. He's never really resonated with me that much, you yeah. know, but, but yeah, like he kind of has that sort of sadness. Canada is about punitive sadness. You know, the book, the stone angel, by Margaret Lawrence is all about just this miserable woman in Ontario, I think Ontario, in the 1800s, just going through this sad life with an alcoholic husband. And the last okay. line of the book is just, and then, and she dies. That's it. It's like, you know. It's, all right. Well, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to stop it Canadian here. film day, April, that was April 19th, my birthday, by the way. Uh, Canadian you know. film day? Yeah. It's in a family. They were yeah. doing a marathon. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to stop you there because yeah, last mm-hmm. year for the 4th of July, we did uh, an episode on American movies. So this year, I want to have you back for Canada Day right. to talk about Canadian. Maybe directors. me and another Canadian. Uh, uh, we don't. We try not to associate <laughs> with more than one <laughs> at a time. Sure. Maybe me and uh, somebody who just likes me. Sure, <laughs> absolutely. Let's get that. Someone to, with the car. So, <laughs> <laughs> listeners, you can find us at battleshippretension.com. That's where uh, all of the movie reviews and everything else are. Uh, you can email us at david at battleshippretension.com. Oh, make sure to email me. Uh, if you have questions for our our video mailbag segment, right. ask, ask BP. Email David at battleshipretension dot com. Anything else you want to email to Tyler? Uh, email Tyler at battleshipretension dot com. Let's see. I'm on Twitter at uh, Davey Pretension. Um, I'm also running the Snapchat. Still trying to <laughs> trying to figure out uh, what Filters. Snapchat is for. Uh, um, and that's Battleship Pretension with no vowels. That's how you can find that on Snapchat. Uh, Tyler. You have another podcast, a couple of other podcasts. Real quick, what's going on there? So, more than one lesson. Uh, our most recent episode, we're talking about The Place Beyond the Pines, which is a film that I absolutely love. And uh, the companion film is Lone Star, so talking about a couple of great oh, movies. That's a great movie. Um, and then, uh, worth playing for, now, uh, we have not announced this as of the day of recording, but by the time this goes up... Uh, I don't think we're going to be able to cover the rest of the season just between we're, we're going out of town. Jen was sick. Like it's just going to be really inconsistent. So I think we're probably going to stop recording and then do one long episode at the end of the season. Okay. Um, so I'm sorry to say that, uh, but me. it just kind of the way it, <laughs> I don't watch survivor. So <laughs> I won't miss it. I'm not apologizing to you, David, for anything ever again. Uh, but what I will say actually is um, uh, we do have an Instagram now. So just follow us at Battleship Pretension. Yeah. We've had it for a while, but we're, we're actually doing it now. It now. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so do uh, do check that out. Yeah, Battleship Pretension. Okay, uh, that's that. Nick, where could people find you on the internet? 
I'm all over the internet. You can find me at the Flans, T H E F L A N S, on Twitter. Nick Flanagan on Instagram. Theflans.com. Um, I'm I'm on Snapchat. It's Flanax, something like that. <laughs> uh, and I have a newsletter at tinyletter.com/slash Nick Flanagan that uh, I would love for people to check out. I don't know. I mean, I got a YouTube. It's it's all it's, most of it. It would be if you Googled my name, you could mm-hmm. find the rest of it. Uh, and I have albums, comedy albums. Okay. Yeah. I have an album called Wiped Privilege. It's out on Comedy <laughs> Dynamics. Um, it's also, you could get it at nickflanagan.bandcamp.com. Okay. Let's pay what you can over there for it. And also an album called I'm Here All Week, W-E-A-K. And I like that name. You can nice. find that online as well. All right. Yeah. So Nick, thanks for being here. Oh my God. Thank you for having me. This was fun. I love talking about movies. You guys are fun to talk with. All right. Well, we'll definitely have to have you back and yes. really oh. exploit that as much as we can. Please exploit me. <laughs> so. uh, thank you at home for listening. Exploit we'll get this foreign worker. We'll get you next time. Bye. <laughs> Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 